tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800 938 007, our free phone number. It won't cost you if you'd like to make a call, and Emma is producing today. Coming up on the show this morning, fire and fury in Galway, the burning of a hotel that was to home asylum seekers, the Apache, the Irish Catholic priest, and a 40-year-old miscarriage of justice. We'll talk about Christmas walks and trails with John G. O'Dwyer, a new body care collection made using Tipperary sheep milk, believe it or not, and we have travel tales with Fergal O'Keefe, so all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 083 311 3311. You can email tip today at tipfm.com. And Rob was delighted to hear from you. Can you believe it's Christmas week? Incredible, isn't it? Let's have a look at uh, the front pages today. The Irish Indo uh, telling us that uh, supermarket food price war looks uh, set to benefit uh, struggling families making Christmas dinner in the shadow of the cost of living crisis. Prices on seasonal dinner. Ingredients such as turkey, ham and a range of vegetables are being cut by many of the large supermarket chains keen to entice people through their doors. But the independent front page is dominated by a fabulous photograph of uh, Aoife Prendergast of Kilkenny's Dixborough Club. Uh, she's jumping for joy after her side's victory in the AIB Camogie All-Ireland uh, Senior Club Championship. But just, it's, it's a super photograph. It has to be an award-winning uh, photograph. Uh, the Irish Daily Mail, their main story, again, main uh, stores and chains around the country, uh, launched half-price sales in a desperate bid to shift unsold stock before uh, Christmas. And needless to say, right across the newspaper state, coverage of that fire at the disused hotel earmarked for asylum seekers. And uh, seemingly it was started deliberately. The Irish Times and uh, the Taoiseach condemning that fire at the centre due to house uh, immigrants. Also on the Times today, they're telling us that uh, three of Europe's most powerful countries have called for a meaningful ceasefire in a clear step change in position that brings them closer to uh, the stance adopted by Ireland, indeed, and several other EU states as well. Finally, a look at the examiner. And that story of the Galway Hotel blaze being condemned as well, their uh, main feature story there. And also um, on the front page, uh, Neil Michael has a piece about campaigners for better maternity care, uh, urging the government to review 21 baby deaths over the last decade and uh, concerns that similar issues have occurred in each tragedy. Now, there has been at least 21 baby deaths in the past 10 years in Irish maternity units that were potentially uh, avoidable. So that's a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. If you want to make comment on any of that, uh, 083 311 for your text and your WhatsApp as well. Now, Leo Varadkar has expressed condemnation towards the suspected deliberate fire set at a hotel in County Galway that was being prepared for asylum seekers. He reaffirmed the government's stance on refugee and asylum policies, emphasising that while the number of arrivals has increased significantly, they have robust measures in place to address the accommodation pressures. 
you know, the situation around accommodating asylum seekers uh, brings to mind what happened in Cashel, of course, in November. Glad to be joined now by community activist uh, David Maloney, who's a very frequent contributor to the show. David, good morning to you. Hello, Fran. How are you? And uh, lovely uh, to talk to you once again. You're, you're making the point to us, David, that we must look at the root cause here. Why? Let, let, let's get the condemnation out of out of the way. I mean, if this was deliberately set, I mean, there's no place for this in any of our conversations. I'm sure you'll agree. Oh yeah, I mean, say no one condones um, violence of any type, right? Or um, vigilantism. Right. I mean, that goes without saying, right? But, I mean, you have to look at the root cause, I mean, and make sure it's not going to be repeated over and over again, right, and address the issues that have led to this. I mean, what we have seen, right, is we have seen um, a lot of anger against the government's failed immigration policy by people who are now living in fear from dangerous, violent and sex predators that the government have invited, helped and facilitated. The government are ignoring the concerns of people, and that frustration is leading to protests, blockages and arson attacks. I mean, we, what was actually worse, I mean, what's surprising is, I mean, there's a lot of condemnation about a fire in Galway, but I mean, there was very little condemnation about the, um, the Algerian who actually st- took a child up into their arms, right, and stabbed them, right, up above in the street of Dublin, right, and that was sort of a hidden because it didn't suit the government's um, narrative on the issue. Now, they would say that they came out, David, and they, you know, profoundly condemned that awful... Uh, atrocities. So they, they, they would make that point to you, I'm sure. Yeah, but that's words, right? We're looking for actions, right? What mm. have they done, right, to um, to vet these um, asylum seekers co- coming into the country, right? I mean, and all they're doing is, I see, is just misleading information. They're saying there's no linkage between um, uh, violence committed by these um, asylum seekers, right, uh, and um, the crimes they commit. Because what happens in Ireland is they don't actually record who commits crimes. So there is no statistics available. But we know from statistics on the continent, right, that a disproportionate number of asylum seekers, right, do commit crimes. And uh, Sorry, another issue I'd make about that building and what what I found very disturbing looking at that, uh, looking at the um, the fire in that hotel in Galway, mm. was that building wasn't fire safe at all, right? For a building to go up and, and be engulfed, Right, and flames like that. I mean, there's something seriously wrong. I mean, obviously, it didn't have a fire cert. Well, I, well, we don't know that, David. You see, I, it depends on what sort of accelerants they used, I suppose. I mean, they could have driven such I know, a... but regardless, whatever. I mean, if mm. you have a fire in a kitchen, right, where you would have fatty f- um, fuel and everything, right? Mm. I mean, a fire should not spread throughout a building, right? I mean, a building should not have combustible or flammable materials, and there should be a sprinkler system in place, right? I mean, mm. putting people into buildings that are not fire safe is criminal, Right. I mean, especially buildings, I mean, they should be checked. And even the existing buildings, I mean, we found over in Cashel, right, the reason why they didn't actually put the people into the building was it wasn't fire safe to do it. So, I mean, floors, can, ceilings and walls are I, supposed to have fire ratings. Can I ask you about something that, that Pat brought us during news there? Um, we heard yeah. from John uh, Lannan of Doris, and he made the point that local politicians have a particular responsibility to advocate for law and order in their regions. But he also went on in his audio piece to say that people in communities have no right to determine who comes in to live amongst them. Do, what, what do you make of those comments? 
However, you cannot ignore the will of the people. I mean, the government are there, right, to represent the people. And we know that people have concerns, right, and the government are just issuing disinformation, right, and just trying to suppress the feelings of the people. And what actually happens in a case like that is you end up with vigilantism because people are so frustrated, right, they'll take the law into their own hands. And do you think that's inevitable? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're seeing it throughout the whole country, right? We're seeing it in Formai locally at the moment, right? We're seeing it in Dublin, right? You know, we're, I mean, there's an uprising, right, against the, the failed immigration policy of the government. And I mean, another, there's a great anger, really, because the housing crisis, the healthcare crisis, the street violence we're seeing, the lack of policing, right, are all inter, interconnected. Mm. And I'll be, and what's going to happen is I see with the upcoming elections, I wouldn't like to be councillors um, calling at doors because they're going to get a hostile well, reception. Sure, isn't that the very interesting part of this, or one of the very interesting parts of this, that, you know, you have Fianna Fáil, councillors coming out and claiming that the government's policies are incorrect, but Fianna Fáil is a government party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. their own people are, are now realising because they know they're, they're going to lose out in a big way. You heard in, in the Dáil too, I mean, people are scared too of the likes of Matty McGrath because they know he's going to get votes in the next election and so are the independents where the established parties will lose out because, uh, because uh, you cannot be ignoring the will of the people. Um, Sorry, another I, issue I'd, I'd yes, raise go, about go yeah. another issue I'd raise about really about housing asylum seekers, right? I mean, it's done in secrecy, right? What should actually happen is, I mean, TD should raise parliamentary questions, right? Addressed to Roderick O'Gorman, right, who was the Minister for Integration, asking him what buildings in the county, right, uh, have been offered for asylum seekers and what buildings have they accepted that they're going to house asylum seekers in? Because you can't be just uh, that information should be made available and they can't be hiding it. I mean, even in Tipperary Town at the moment. Right, there's word of a building, right? That's um, and you, you're not going to name that for me, sure. You oh, no, 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 yeah. I won't. Okay. Yeah. I won't, yeah. I won't. But I mean, even the locals, right? They've started um, um, canvassing, right? They've started making issues about it, right? You know, so you can actually see that how so all, already they're asking questions in Tipperary Town. Is that it? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 about a uh, building that they yeah. see that's yeah. being renovated near them. Can you, I'm not sure if you have the notes in front of you of what you sent to us, but can, yeah, yeah. can you give me those um, uh, events that occurred since 2018 in, in terms of um, arson that went on in, in places earmarked for asylum seekers? Can you, I can't surely, right. In November 18, right, a hotel that was earmarked, right, for asylum seekers in uh, Donegal, right, it was a hotel, right, was actually torched. In 2019, in Ruski, right, there was attempts to burn a hotel, right? Again, that was going to house eight asylum seekers. We saw this year, in May, right, tents right, belonging to asylum seekers were burnt on the streets of Dublin. In, in July 2022, this year, right, there was arson attacks on a building in Ballybrack in County Dublin, right, that was going to be used for 60 male asylum seekers. And what was worrying was during the right in November, right, um, there was a tent, and it was actually set on fire, the Holiday Inn, on, in the middle of, of Dublin City. And the fire brigade was actually blocked from uh, going to that hotel, right? right? And the building was not only set on fire, but there was actually immigrants inside it, looking out the windows, right, which were clear to everyone. Down the road from that, there was actually... Uh, I'm sorry, Dublin city dorms. That was actually vandalised the front of it, right, in attempts, right, you know, to more or less petrol bomb it, right? Out in Finglas, on the same night, there was petrol bombs thrown through the front of a premises earmarked for refugees, right, setting part of it on fire. And then all this, uh, the right, has culminated in this week where the Ross Lake Hotel in Galway was actually burnt to the ground. 
I suppose the miracle is that, you know, nobody has been killed so far. Oh, know? yeah, 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 that's, that's how it's right. Mm. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's tragic that it has come to that, but there was a complete sort of, um, uh, when it comes, there's a breakdown really in law and order in this country that we've never seen before, and people are now living in fear for their own safety, which is completely wrong. And just, you know, I mean, go, going along with something you said to me earlier on, you know that the Gardaí are saying that there's no link whatsoever between asylum seekers and increased crime. Yeah, because statistically they don't record who commits the crimes. But we know that 20% of the um, of the prisoners in Irish jails are non-Irish. We Every single week we see court cases, right, Of um, and the perpetrators are non-Irish, right? Mm. But, I mean, just because the statistics don't show it doesn't mean right. uh, it but, doesn't exist. But in, in any grouping of people, you will have a criminal element, no matter who that grouping is, uh, I suppose, because, yes, again, the guards is. are saying notwithstanding isolated local incidents, um, they have not recorded any significant uh, increase in criminal activity or public order issues directly caused by uh, IPAs at uh, this particular time. So, I mean, we, 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 we have to go along with what they're telling us. Oh, yeah, because I'm saying what, what they're actually saying is statistically, right, because statistics don't record it, right? Mm. That's just the reason why they say that, right? You know, I mean, you can't uh, downplay, right, or ignore and sweep under the carpet something that's so obvious, right? I mean, we have to look at all the crimes we've actually seen, right, even this year, right, mm. committed by non-Irish, right, against Irish people. Mm. And and tell me, because how do you feel about the argument that's coming up all of the time then that we, we need uh, refugees coming into this country, we need immigrants coming in here to work in the various, you know, in our hospitals, in our... Our, our retail in in our our hospitality, all of that. What what do you make of that argument, Dave? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we do, right? I mean, I was a, a, an immigrant myself. I went to England working. Yeah. And I went to the Middle East working, right? Yeah. But I contributed, right? I didn't go out there, and I wouldn't be tolerated in the first place, right? If I just went out there to sponge the system. I mean, I got nothing, right, from anyone, right? Right. I, I provided. Mm. You know, I was educated here and provided my exper- expertise out there, right? Mm. I mean, uh, generally, I mean, even all the asylums. I, I mean the I mean, we're. I mean, we do. I mean, a lot of the. Um, I can remember even as a child, right, in Tipperary Town, we had actually jewelers who were actually ex. Uh, they were from Jewish extraction, right? They're two old ladies, uh, right? And people had great respect for them, and they contributed to their skills, right? And uh, that was my first experience of emigrants, mm. uh, and they were welcomed, right? I mean, a lot of these people themselves are actually speaking out. I mean, we had uh, last week we had um, a Muslim, right, a Syrian who has been in the country about 30 years, working in Ballyhonas in the meat factory, right, and he says uh, it's ridiculous what's happening. He says there is dangerous, unvetted, right, individuals coming into this country, and it shouldn't be allowed. I mean, we're, uh, I mean, mm. and, you know, we and, and what do you make of the fact that the government are claiming that you know everybody who comes in here that they're fingerprinted and that they're vetted in some sort of a fashion? You know, what what, what do you make of that? Well, no, sorry, that's completely false, this information, right? Because once um, someone arrives in Dublin, right, looking for asylum, by international law, you cannot actually contact their country of origin to find out anything about them. Another thing, I mean, there's asylum there's, there's asylum seekers come from um, Albania, and Albania are only delighted to get rid of them, right? They've, they've actually <laughs> sent prisoners, right, their prisoners, right, to, to Europe, right, to dump their prisoners in Europe, right? So they're not going to tell you about the criminal history. About but you see, we, we, have no, we have no proof of that, David. We have no proof that that's the case with some of the people coming in here, you know. 
Oh, sorry, but we have proof of the case, right? I mean, uh, actually, uh, a guard that worked with immigration only last week said in your programme, right, that you cannot set right uh, asylum seekers. Where, where is it all going to end, do you think? Because, I mean, remember about four or five weeks ago, the Taoiseach himself came out and he spoke about capacity issues and Michal Martin was in agreement with that, that there are obviously capacity issues as well. But it doesn't appear as if there's been any sort of movement to doing something about this. Yeah, I mean, what's going to really happen? I mean, we're going to see the, um, in six months' time with the local elections, right? I can see a lot of these councils, right? It'll be the um, independents that will be getting the votes, right? And that'll send a clear message, right, that they'll be voted out if they don't do something. And they have to start addressing the, uh, address the issue, right, council, the government, because, I mean, they have failed completely, right? Mm. I mean, right. the last thing you do is, I mean, the first thing any government should do is you protect your own people first, right? I mean, you don't be given asylum seekers' preference when it comes to um, accommodation and welfare. I mean, that's what they're doing. I mean, Leo Varadkar seems to have an agenda to make the Irish, right, a minority in their own country, right? And he's all for... Well, I, I'm sure he would disagree with you completely on that. I mean, he talks about obligations that we have on one thing and another. I mean, do you, do you not accept any any of that, David? Uh, sorry, those obligations, Lisbon Treaty, Ireland has have the right to opt out of them, right? Mm. You have only obligations because you agreed to something in the very first place. I mean, all across Europe, right, you have now these governments, these governments are saying, stop, 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 we're not accepting anymore. And, I mean, look at France. France takes in 17 times less, less um, uh, refugees than Ireland, right? Mm. I mean, France is in the EU as well. Most European, Western European countries only take in three or four asylum seekers per thousand. Ireland takes in 17. So, I mean, logic tells you there's something wrong there, right? All right, David, good to talk to you today and thanks very okay. much for your opinion. Thank you and a happy Christmas okay. to you, by the way, if I'm not talking Thank to you. Yourself, David. Take, okay, take it you. easy, bye-bye to you now. And that's uh, David 83 Willie joins me now. Good morning to you, Willie. Morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Good to talk to you today. What are you making of the fire and the fury in Galway? Well, so look, I think it's fairly predictable, Fran. I mean, you, there's, there's a narrative in the media, and particularly maybe the alternative media, the social media, where it's, there's a constant diet of this immigration, immigration, anti-immigration, and everything that's portrayed is negative. There's absolutely nothing nothing out there in that social media land that, that's anything but completely negative. And sadly, that's for pe- I, the amount of people who buy a newspaper today as opposed to getting all their information from the phone and social media, I say, is just vastly changed. And that's what's informing them. And that's where the narrative has been fed from, I think. So you think mis- yeah, misinformation, Willie? It's even gone beyond that, Fran. It's almost hate-driven. It's almost creating some, some kind of feral mob rule seedbed for people to feed into. And that's sadly, I think it's becoming more and more more and more pre- prevalent, even amongst people who you wouldn't nor- you wouldn't have said in a million years that they'd be leaning that way. They're just fed, fed, it's just drip, drip, drip. And maybe it's just, it soaks into them. I don't know. Maybe it's as simple as that. And what do you make of uh, that piece, again, that uh, Pat Murphy ran uh, during news there, John Lannan from the organisation uh, Doris, but he was saying that local politicians have a particular responsibility to advocate for law and order in their particular uh, region, but he was also making the point that we have no right to determine who lives in our communities. Um, how, how do you feel about that, Willie? Well, 
Look, there are two aspects to that, and I'd say, first of all, you know, there's an independent lobby and, and an alternative lobby out there who can say what they want because they have no responsibility for anything. You know, they can come out on any issue. They're not part of any... They'll never vote for anything that, that, that involves raising the tax. They're always against it. They'll never vote for anything that involves a regulation. They're always against it. And they have a, they have a complete free hand because they can be as populist on every topic under the sun. They have no responsibility for anything. They never have to vote for a budget that has to be balanced. They never have to vote for any unpopular thing. They can abstain if they like and run away and come back mm. again and wag the finger at everyone. And are they you talking no about independent TDs here, independents? Or? It, 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 in, in the large, but look, at we have a whole clatter of small anti-everything parties, the PPB, APB, whatever you want to call them, they're nearly the alphabet soup. There's not much difference between any of them. And they're, they're on this 3 and 4 and 5%. They're just a rabble in the background. You see the Paul Murphys and the Biden Barretts and they get up and they shout and roar for their five minutes and they have their bit of, bit of content for their social media. And what does it amount to? She's very little, Brent. Very little, only nine. Well, they, they would tell they you that they, they re- represent a a particular constituency, you know, and uh, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's their job to, whatever that ideology might be, it's their job to push that, I suppose. And that's democracy. Well, look, there's, really. two, there's, there's, there's two aspects to that, man. I mean, you see the, the Healy Rays and whatnot, they were up on their hind feet there, roaring and bawling about it there last week, and mm-hmm. Matty is part of that group. Mm-hmm. But sir, Michael Healy Ray has no issue with immigration when he wants cheap labour to shovel tarmac. No problem then. He'll pick up someone there and when, when he won't pay Paddy or Paddy won't do the job. Danny has no issue about it when he wants someone on their hands and knees scrubbing the floor at the toilet because he wants the cheap cleaner. But we, 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 don't, we, we don't know that, though, Willie, in fairness. Well, we do, man. We're not fools. I mean, they have houses. They have houses, multiple properties rented out tax-free to house immigrants. Hmm. But yes, they put on their other cap when they want to be shouting and roaring to get the popular side of it, saying, oh, we, we're supporting but any any community. Aren't, that aren't, you, touching on, aren't you touching on a, an important issue there, though? I mean, I think in general, people don't have an, an issue with immigrants coming to this country to, to work. I think the issue is around, as people might see it, unvetted single males, large numbers of them, being imposed on small communities, as was going to be the case in Galway. Well, look at it. There's two completely separate problems there, friend. Yeah, and I think we have an awful problem in that we need speed and, and, and rigorous and even a ruthless decision-making process about asylum-seeking applications. If they're not legitimate, if there are no basis, it shouldn't be dragging on for this years and years. It should be bang, and if you have to hire the plane... You know, look, at it. they're doing it in England and it's a bit of a ham-fisted, stupid thing they're doing all back to Rwanda or wherever it is. I mean, that's banana stuff. Mm. But we need something that's an awful lot faster. But we have this civil service mentality or public service mentality where a thing just rumbles on, rumbles on, rumbles on. No one's responsible. And suddenly they've created a monster because nobody wants to be the bad guy in the room that says no. I think that's, that seems to be where we're going with a lot of decision-making process. And, and look, do there you, are serious do, issues. Yeah, and, and do you think you know, that we're at capacity at the moment? I mean, if we have the issues that we're discussing here, do you think we're at capacity at the moment, Willie? 
Shulan, where do you draw the line of capacity? I, I mean, I just don't know. There, there are still empty buildings. It's not, it's not easy. And we spoke about this before, and where they go out and they try and work with a community mm. and say, "Well, we're looking at this property." And now we've seen the results of that. Mm. The information went out. We're looking at this property. Bang! The property is burnt to the ground. Mm. Now, now maybe it's some loony. I don't know. Mm. Who knows? But that's the problem they're facing. They're going out there. In good, when they engage in good faith and they try to say, well, we're looking at this property or we're looking at this and we're hoping to do, and suddenly it's burnt to the ground. So, you know, it's not yeah, simple. But, it's but, but not is simple. it not interesting now that, I mean, you spoke about, you know, independence and uh, left-wing uh, politicians who might be sort of, you know, very vocal about certain issues. And stuff. But now you have government uh, TDs and councillors coming out and saying that the government policy is incorrect here if it's in their backyard. You're right. And and there's an element of save my own skin to any any of that. They're all they're all dependent on being re-elected or, or mm. if they're sending it. They're, they're all dependent on it, no matter who or where or what they're running for. But look, we have problems, man, and we have been very, very We've been too subservient to EU stuff, and I've been I've been saying that for a mm. long time. And look, at, I'm not anti-EU by any means. I think it has been massively beneficial to this country in, in so many ways. Yeah. We'll be on the program for the rest of the day. Mm. But there are problems. We, we're just as a political entity, we're almost subservient to them, and we, we won't rock the boat. And no, the benefit system, like. I have no issue with benefits, man, or people coming in. It's, it's the essence of a society that there's a safety net. It's not a free-for-all, and you just cut the, the poor or loose or whatever it is, or people who fall through the cracks. That can't be. You know, but we have, we're paying child benefit rates at Irish rates for children who are in wherever, because the father or whoever is working here. I mean, those are mad things. Those are crazy. They should have been challenged years ago at EU level to say, if the children are in wherever it is in Eastern Europe, why we pay the benefits for that, that rate, that that's where they're living. It's crazy stuff, and there is a draw factor. There is a draw factor by having it too generous for what they're able to get here. There's no question about that. And, Willie, can I ask you a question that might seem <clears throat> a bit bit unfair? Um, but, I mean, if there was a vacant premises right beside you, mm-hmm. and if the news broke that within a few days it was going to be occupied by up to 70 single males... Uh, whose origin you wouldn't be told about, maybe. What would you do, mm-hmm. and how would you feel? It's a fair question, Fran. It's, it's a fair question, and yet anyone will have concerns. But I don't, I don't think there's going to be this seventy or whatever going into small rural, small rural parishes. There will be one. Well, well that's what was going three. to happen in 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 Galway at that hotel. I mean, mm-hmm. it's going to be seven. And, and I think the local population, and I'm sorry for cutting across you, but I, I think the local population was about three hundred. Now, so you're imposing yeah. seventy on on top of that. Yeah, but you take the issue, friend, that happened below in Dundrum, and that's your neck of the woods mm. down that you're living down that side. I mean. I don't know many are came into Dundrum houses we knew. A few, few, few hundred, yeah, yeah, and it was works really any, well. Was there any? Was there any problem in the area? Was None. There any boom in the problems and, and, and robberies and this that? None. Nothing. None. You know, it was all fear, fear, fear. I mean, None. we have a family house. No, I have to say, it's here. a lot of families are there, Willie. But yeah, yeah. Mm. we have a 
family that came from Dundrum with my house locally they're in a, they're in a mm. family home that they can take and I mean there were six of them in it mm-hmm. four adults two children the two children are in local schools and mm. out of the four adults three of them are working I mean they're hardly the antichrist mm. <laughs> so I think we have to we have to we have to roll back on this almost mm. mob rule that's becoming established right but again is there not a difference there because you're talking about Ukrainian people that are coming in here and it's almost a different tier of asylum mm-hmm. seeker than we're talking when we're inter- international protection applicants or outside of that. So, yeah, I mean, and and I have said to my really friend, it's the speed of the process. Mm. You cannot have this thing of rumbling on for two or three years. They got rid of the passport. They got rid of this, and we're 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 three four years making a decision about them. I mean, that is just bananas. That is just crazy. And I think it has been. It it became the norm almost because nobody in government or nobody in civil service or no one wanted to sit, wants to ruffle the feathers of the EU and saying we're dealing with this rigorously. All right, Willie, always good to talk to you and a happy Christmas to you, Willie. And thanks thanks thank for you, all of your Frank. contributions during the year. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck. Uh, bye-bye to you now. Uh, we'll take a break. We're back with more. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now, uh, let's continue on with that uh, conversation about that uh, hotel that was uh, set on fire over the weekend, the Ross Lake Hotel that was to house. Uh, asylum seekers. I'm glad to be joined now by Liam Brown, a local activist around uh, Cashel. Good morning to you, Liam. Good morning, fine. How are you? I'm very well indeed. And thanks for taking our call uh, this morning, Liam, because if we just leave the fire aside for, for a moment, and God knows we're, we're all condemning that aspect of, of what happened, but the rest of it smacks of what happened in Cashel back in November, does it not? Well, to a point, fine, but um, I mean, okay, look, there are similarities. There's no point in, in saying otherwise. But the main similarity with what happened in Cashel and what happened in Ross Lake, but what happened, what, what is happening right around the country, Fan, is the refrain that there's no consultation, that people are not being spoken to before any, anything like this happens. And there's a frustration around the place that, you know, it, this is just, people are just being put into a place, being left there, the government are walking away, the authorities are walking away and leaving local communities to deal with what happens afterwards that there's a certain amount of money grabbing on the, on the side of the people who own these properties who don't really care, don't live in the communities. I believe the Ross Lake Hotel is owned by an American consortium from what, I, from what I've read last night. And uh, they just don't care what what goes on afterwards. They want to take the money, they want to leave and let everyone else pick up the pieces if anything happens afterwards. Do you find it interesting that now we have councillors from government parties uh, coming out and condemning uh, their own party's attitude to asylum seekers and the like? Uh, I, I'm not one bit surprised, Fran. Um, there's elections next June and those people are listening in the local communities and they've finally woken up to the fact that there is a certain amount of anger, a certain amount of frustration out there in those communities. This was I, I remember saying this with you uh, over 18 months ago, that if people did not engage, if the government did not engage with ordinary people, that this problem was going to come up. And as sure as night follows day, the problem has come up. And I can assure you, once we go past into the new year, it's going to become very, very loud because it's going to be one of the biggest issues, if not the biggest issues, first of all, coming into the referendums in March 
and certainly coming into local elections in June. So I'm not one bit surprised the government uh, councillors are uh, talking about this in the terms they're talking about the two Fianna Fáil councillors in Ross Lake at the weekend. That's nothing that Fianna Fáil councillors or Fine Gael councillors are not saying in private in other parts of the country. And I think they're getting a bit worried about their seats now. And let's be honest about it, nothing uh, focuses a politician's mind uh, more than their seats or more than an election. There was a very stark comment. I'm not sure if you got a chance to hear it because I know you're busy this morning, but it was during a news bulletin. The CEO of the migrants group, uh, Doris, his name is uh, John Lannan. He said a couple of things, but he, he said a very particular thing where he said that those of us in communities, we have no right to determine who comes into our communities. What, what, what do you make of that? I think that's rubbish. I absolutely think that's rubbish, Fran. And let, let me give you an example, Fran, of, of, of how we deal with this compared to other things. At the moment, there's a, a consultation process been put in place since last week about a public cycleway between Cashel and Care. Mm. Now, that, that consultation will open up for the next six weeks until the end of January. And people in the community in Cashel and in Care can make submissions about what they think about a cycleway. Now, that's a pretty small thing compared what might make a huge change in both towns if there was to be in Cashel, for example, 80 asylum seekers were to be moved into Cashel a month and a half ago, or potentially if there was to be 80 asylum seekers put into care, which I've heard rumours about, I'm not going to tell lies to you about, uh, in the new year. So, I mean, if we can have a public consultation about a public cycleway, why can we not have a public consultation about an immigration policy. Now, the powers because that be might, might say to you on that, and again, sorry for cutting across you, but the powers that be might say to you on that, well, okay, but this is emergency accommodation. I mean, these people need emergency looking after. So it's sort of, it makes it very different to the case that you're... Um, Brian, 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 we're talking about emergency accommodation for nearly two years now. We cannot keep talking about emergency accommodation. There'll always be an emergency. And if you keep putting off, if you keep putting off the discussion, because there might be an emergency next week and there might be an emergency the week after, when are you going to have the discussion? It's been going on now. And fine, you're talking about a, a, um, a hotel being burnt in Ross Lake in Galway. Remember, there was a hotel burnt in Cloheen in 2000. The year 2000, the V Hotel in Cloheen was burnt. A, there was one burnt in Moville in Donegal in 2018, five years ago. Mm. So this is not an emerging problem. This is a problem which has been there for 20 years. And it just happens, so happens, that certain things like the Ukrainian war happens or there may be a conflict in a, in a particular area. But again, we, we need to put in place a proper structured immigration policy like other countries have. And, and, and can I make the point uh, just, just very clearly as well, and I know that you go along with me on this, there's absolutely no justification for violence, arson or, or vandalism, and, and that is none, a point you, you, you would want to make very strongly, Liam, I know. None whatsoever, yeah. Fran. Yeah. Absolutely no justification. But like I said, and there will be an awful lot of your listeners who will be listening this morning will go, they knew it was going to happen someplace. Yeah. Because it's what's happening is there's a, a, a bubbling anger among the general population, Fran, but the idea that our government are not listening to us, that the people in power are not listening to us, that we're trying to have a conversation. We want to have a discussion. We want to have consultation. But every single time anybody brings up the idea of consultation, they're called racist, they're called right-wing, they're called uh, anti-immigrant, 
I mean, there are very, very few people in this country anti-immigrant. And I do not like the narrative which has, has arisen in the past six to eight weeks that suddenly we've gone from being anti-asylum seeker to anti-immigrant. But we, you, know, you constantly hear the examples of, oh, the Irish went around the world. We went to America. Mm. We went to Australia. We did find, but try this. You try getting into America tomorrow morning with no passport. Mm. Or you try getting into Australia tomorrow morning with no passport. You simply wouldn't do it. We have huge immigration into this country, which has been massively beneficial to the country. But then again, at the same time, when we're talking about our hospitals and we're talking about our nurses and our doctors, and we have a huge amount of, of people from outside of Ireland working in the health system. But maybe we need to have a conversation as to why there are so many Irish doctors and Irish nurses gone from this country so that we have to bring in a huge amount of people from outside the country. That's all part of the conversation. And over the last uh, 48 hours, I know that politicians are are using that fact that, we, you know, we accept people in here when we want them to do jobs, when we want them to look after us medically and our hospitality and our retail and all of that. But that's a completely different argument, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and this, is, this is where so many people in the government at the moment are trying to move the conversation away from the problem that they realise is out in the country, that they're not listening to people. They're trying to move it on to a position where they know people agree with them, where they know that people understand that a certain amount of immigration into every single country is not only necessary, but is beneficial to the country. And I make this clear, I have no problem with immigration. I've worked abroad myself. But when I worked abroad, fine, and I listened to one of your speakers before here mm. who worked in, in the Middle East and who worked mm. in Europe, David, we yeah. never walked in, we, we never walked into a country fan without our papers. Mm. We never walked into a country without a job being there in the first place before we came. Mm. And in most cases, Fran, and like this is so funny, you're talking about uh, asylum seekers coming from Africa. I worked in Africa in two different African countries, and every single month you had to justify why you were there. And if you couldn't justify why you were there, you were sent home. And and that's that's simply a fact. But yeah. here. Uh, and you know the argument there is that you know the people coming in here seeking asylum are coming from very extreme situations where their safety is in question and all of that. Well, fine. To be quite to be quite honest, I don't believe that. I mean, I I listened last week to a, a woman in Dublin from Botswana. I worked in Botswana. There is absolutely no problem in Botswana. There there is no conflict. There has never been a conflict in Botswana, but yet. She's seeking asylum from Botswana. You take European countries like Albania and Georgia. Mm. The ambassadors of those countries are saying themselves to the Irish government that there are no issues in those countries. But yet, we have people coming here for asylum. Now, I understand certain people do come here for safety and we should give them safety. But the, the vast majority of, of asylum seekers, in my experience in the last 12 to 18 months, are economic migrants. And that's fine if you're going to accept them as economic migrants. But don't try to put this spin on it that they're coming from unsafe areas when they're not. About five or five or six weeks ago, and I made this point earlier, Liam, uh, that Leo Radkar came out and said, you know, there is a capacity issue yeah, at this point. Um, but was any of that acted upon, you know? Friend, five or six weeks ago, Leo realised was a capacity issue. There was a capacity issue 12 months ago. Yeah. There was a capacity issue two years ago. We have a problem in this country, Fran, where we have... It's constantly said, Fran, that we have 14,000 people uh, in emergency accommodation who are homeless. We have a lot more than 14,000 people who are homeless. 
because we don't count in the people who want a home but are still living on couches, who are still living in their parents' bedrooms, who are still trying to get out of, of their home. So the homeless issue is much bigger in this country than has been admitted by the government because it suits them to keep the figures down. We know we don't have enough houses for Irish people in this country as it is. But we're now talking about accommodating people in brand new modular homes. We're now accommodating them in hotels. We're now looking for every outhouse, backhouse and shed where we can put asylum seekers into. Friend, there's a certain amount of this is simply money-making by people who have a spare room someplace who couldn't do anything with the room because the place was falling down and who now see um, an opportunity to put people in there and walk away and let the local communities look after those people. And the local communities, friend, are starting to get a little bit sick of the attitude of government that if they just drop people into a town or a village, that the local community will look after them. Because we do have a massive capacity issue and it's not one that's going away. We're listening to the government talking about building 30,000 houses this year and possibly 35,000 houses next year when the reality is we need 60 and 70,000 houses just to keep pace with what we need ourselves, never mind what we need to look after people from outside the country, fine. But the biggest problem is, is we're now seeing a turn in government parties where they're going to turn upon each other, where they should have been listening to ordinary people for the last couple of years, and they should still be listening to them, and they're not. All they're doing at the moment is looking to save their seats, but not look after the local communities. We're still waiting on the detail of the cause of that fire at Ross Lake House, uh, Liam. But the big worry and fear, certainly that I would have anyway, is that if it turns out that it was, you know, if it was perpetrated by somebody with, you know, with an anti-immigrant sort of a, a bias, is it going to set a precedent in in, in some way? I mean, w- will it be copied? Uh, that's the great worry, is it not? Again, Fran, we're, we're kind of talking around the problem without being honest with ourselves. If we're 100% honest, there's a 99% chance that it was burnt down by somebody deliberately to ensure that asylum seekers wouldn't go into, the, into it. I mean, we have people saying, oh, don't jump to conclusions. Mm. It might have been an electrical fault. It might have yeah. been, I don't know, climate change or God knows what. Mm. The reality is, Fran, is somebody took it upon themselves to burn down a hotel. They shouldn't have done it. I don't condone it. It shouldn't happen, but I'm not surprised. Will it happen again? The, likely chance, the likelihood is, yeah, it probably will happen again, Fran. Because as I said, it's happened before in at least four places before this, before this weekend. And it's going to happen again if we continue to ignore the, if we continue to ignore the concerns of local communities around the country, Fran. Then some people in those communities will take matters into their own hands. And it's a very, very dangerous precedent to go down. I don't think the vast, vast majority of Irish people want that to happen. I certainly do not. I think 98% of Irish people will look at that the weekend in horror. Yeah. But they'll also be honest about it to themselves and say, look, we expect it to, to, to happen someplace. I mean, it's funny, I looked at the, the movie, The, the, the Fields, last mm. weekend. Yeah. And, you know, and in, in the same case, like, you know, that was 150 years ago when, pe- when local people feel that they weren't being listened to. They simply took matters into their own hands. It's a dangerous road to go down, Fran. Uh, people will get hurt and they shouldn't get hurt. We can stop it if we have honest consultation and we have honest information from our government, from our local authorities and from our government politicians who really have been running away from this for the last two or three years at least, but now suddenly are beginning to break from their own parties because they see elections coming over the hill next year and they now want to get on side with people where they've been totally ignoring people for years now, Frank. 
really for years. All right, Liam. Thanks for your time this morning, Liam. And if I don't get to talk to you, happy Christmas to you and your family, Liam. Thanks. You're Thanks welcome. Very much. Thank you. Bye bye, you now. Liam Brown speaking to us there. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie We continue on our conversation about the burning of the Ross Lake House Hotel near Ucklerard in County Galway. Two Fianna Fáil councillors in the county have blamed the government for creating local tensions over the accommodation of refugees. One of those councillors is councillor noel thomas who joins you now noel good morning to you good morning to you and i know it's a busy morning for you Noel. so we really appreciate your time uh, this morning you are no saying and uh, let's let's get the condemnation out of the way first of all i know that you're at pains to point out you do not condone in any way setting fire to that building no and that's correct and nobody i know does either to be honest with you i just well, well if, if, if you're interested in the local side of that i'll just tell you quickly yes but please that building there, like, is an iconic building for the, for the, the residents of Roscahill and, and the surrounding parishes as well, because it was a, a very, very popular place for all sorts of social events over over, the, over my lifetime. And uh, also, my own evening wedding reception was in that hotel. But it was a beautiful building, a heritage building as well. And it's an awful shame that it's all destroyed now. And that is a serious blow to, to even to, to all of the people who were at that blockade. I can just tell you one thing. I was there. But when the news was broke that this, this fire had happened in, the, in that premises, everybody there was gutted because they know what that building meant to them. And That's was there time. any infiltration of, of that blockade of that group of people from, from outside, Noel, in any way? Was there... No, there wasn't. It was all the local people there. So, like, it's so it's hard to imagine that any local person would even do something like that. And that's that the investigation is still going on in relation to it. So, but the head of the guards will find out that maybe... This wasn't a sinister act at all. That's, 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 that's what I'm hoping will come out of this. Because no, but there was no. But they just said that there was no infiltration whatsoever. Because the type of people you're dealing with there in Roscall, to be honest with you, I don't even think I don't think they would have even uh, I would have welcomed say people coming in from outside to join them on that blockade. To be honest. So they would have been tough on that. Um, you, you said the government has to take the vast majority of the blame for the situation. Now your own party is part of that government, so you're at odds with their general policy, Noel. Does that does that know, trouble I'm, you? I'm, I'm sad. I, it troubles me. Seriously, troubles me. I have been a staunch Pinafall man all my life, and it's killing me to see what's going on here. But I, I don't know. I've said it earlier on today in an interview. I think that whatever breed of a politician we have at the moment, there are ministers and TDs that are there in the doll, most of them, not all of them now, not all of them, but the majority of them, they really seem to have lost connection with people. Like, the message is going very clear to them for a long, long time now that what's happened here is wrong. But yet nothing is being done about it. The only answers you get is, so we have to continue being the best boys in class and do what, what uh, the EU is telling us. But, you know, there are times when you have to stop. Like, you know, when, when you can't take people in anymore in a humane manner, then surely to God the alarm bells should be ringing and telling them we've got to stop this. Like, taking people in, immigrants in here into this country, and, and, and putting them into a makeshift accommodation, it's totally unacceptable. And isolating people, in particular, let's just go back to the, the Rock Lake Hotel, for example. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but like this, it was an extremely isolated area. Yes. There's no public services there. There's no nothing. It's in. It's, it's up a little back road. Then if you, if you go up a laneway through a wooded area, up into eventually you get to this hotel. I mean, it's total isolation. Like This is not suitable accommodation to be putting people into, to be very honest with you. What we're supposed to be doing when we bring immigrants into this country is we're supposed to be integrating them into our community. And we can see that 
throughout the whole country. And in, in, my, in my own local village as well, you can see it, where we have people of different ethnicities who have came here, they've come here they're to, to work, they've blended in with the community here, and they're a fantastic addition to the community. That's because they've been integrated in in a proper manner, not like what's going on here at the moment in this country. How will it be tenable for you, Noel, to put yourself forward in local elections next time round as a member of the Fianna Fáil party if you profoundly disagree with their policy on this? I know, you see, and this is a question that has been asked of me by several people, right? Yeah. And lots of people have told me, Noel, would you not just go and leave the party? But you've got to understand here, as I said to you, I have been involved with Fianna Fáil for a very, very long time. I know an awful lot of the old stock of Fianna Fáil very well. The people who inspired me to come and join the party, right? They are just as disgusted now as what I am. But the question I always ask myself in relation to this is, why should I have to leave my party because at this moment, because it has been infiltrated by, I don't know what to describe them as, by people who don't seem to represent what we, what we were supposed to be about. So why should I have to leave because of that? That's, that's, that's what keeps me there, to be honest with you, hoping that someday that this is all going to change. We, we had a CEO of the Migrants' Rights Group on our news bulletin this morning. His name is John Lannan. I'm not sure if, you, if you're familiar with him. The organisation is called uh, Doris. But in, in the course of the piece that we heard, he said that uh, local areas, we don't have the right to determine who comes in or who's sent in to live amongst us. What, what do you make of that comment? OK, and I, and I, I actually, I don't know, I agree with what he's saying, right? But I agree with him in the manner that, let's just say you've, you've People are moving in, OK, next-door neighbours move in beside me here. I have no right. Of course I couldn't, and I couldn't have. And it would be madness that I had a right to say, because I don't like them people, they're not coming in there. But when a community is concerned about a whole group of people being moved in in one block into their community, of course they have a right to be concerned. Of course they have a right to complain about it. That's because it is their community after all. And what is happening in these situations is not normal. It's not normal behaviour. So, of course, they have the right to be concerned about who moves in there. But in general, you are 100% correct. I cannot say that Johnny can, can't move in next door to me. That's, that's just be absolute lunacy. Like. Is it because we had a similar situation, I'm not sure if you're aware of that, in, in Cashel in Tipperary there some time ago where, you know, there was to be seven, um, 70 or more, in fact, uh, single males put into a, a premises on John Street in, in Cashel. And as it turned out, it didn't happen in, in the end. Local people uh, gathering in great numbers to protest about that uh, as well. Um, I'm just wondering where this is all going at this point. Um, well, this, this is the big problem, you see. Where is it going? Because like I said to you, we have all these groups of people now, thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are in these blocks of accommodation, right? And what's, what's the forward plan? Like, there is no forward plan. And, and, and let's be honest about it. Like, these people, okay, there was a lot of Ukrainians who came here, who fled from, from war-torn areas or whatever else. There was a lot of Ukrainians who came here also as economic migrants. Fair enough. But, I said to you, we we have to we have to be very careful about how it's done. Like I said, Joe, I don't know how how can, how can you handpick this is the problem here. I'm afraid, like maybe, so oh, I don't know, a couple of solutions, but like they're not they're, like, they don't ever seem to be considered. Maybe you could uh, maybe you could say let somebody into the country based on their their uh, location where they live. So in other words, we know Ukraine is a massive country, right? A massive country. So we know of the cities in Ukraine and the areas who are being bombarded barbarically in this war. So any asylum seeking presenting themselves coming from those particular areas should be brought in immediately. 
And maybe that's the sort of thing we need to start doing. We need to start tightening up on things. If somebody is being persecuted and tortured in, in wars or whatever, else, of course we'll welcome them in. But now what we have done is left ourselves in a situation where we have flooded this country and we have flooded all accommodation available and we have left ourselves now in a position where we genuinely can't help the genuine people who are, who are fleeing wars or not. It's a terrible situation to be left in. And, and you'd wonder where it's it's all going to end up, I suppose. Noel Thomas, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you, and thank you, and, thank okay, you. and uh, good morning to you. That is Councillor Noel Thomas from that area there uh, near Oak where the Ross Lake Hotel was burned to the ground over the weekend. Um, news and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. Uh, just some of your correspondence with us uh, this morning. One listener says, when the attacks happened in Dublin, all the media... And politicians said that they can't uh, speculate or assume what happened until the Gardaí had uh, finished their investigations. Instantly, when the Galway fire broke out, uh, the same media and politicians seemed to know exactly what happened with no Garda investigations, says Joe, who's in Thurlis today. Somebody else saying fair play to that uh, politician, that would be Councillor Noel Thomas, uh, for calling it exactly as it is and standing up for his people and generally. Uh, we are being dictated to by a shower of politicians that are just being politically correct and turning their backs on the very people that elected them. Our politicians want to be the star pupils of Europe, uh, jumping to every demand without standing up for their people. 083 311 Now a remarkable story. It's a tale that reads like fiction. A man wrongfully convicted for the murder of an Irish priest and the unexpected journey of compassion that followed the murder of Father Patrick Ryan, who is buried in Doon, County Limerick. It's an incredible story and it's brought to life in a brand new podcast. Anne Murphy is a reporter with the Irish Examiner and host of the podcast Forgiven. And she joins me now. Good morning to you, Anne. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. And many congratulations to you on this because it's the most incredible tale. And just to begin with, will you give us the background on Father Patrick Ryan? Yes, um, Father Patrick Ryan was born in Dune, as you say, and he became um, a member of the Palestine um, Order, um, and he went on to serve in parts of Africa, um, and then came back to Ireland, um, where he was uh, stationed in in Thorlis, um in the Palestine Order there, and also in the Palestine Order in Stillorgan in Dublin, um, and then in the late 1970s he. Uh, became a priest in Denver City um, in Texas. And unfortunately, that's where um, his uh, demise came. He he died three years later in somewhat gruesome circumstances in a motel um, 80 miles away from his parish in Denver City. He was found in a motel called the Sandon Stage Motel in Odessa. How did he end up in Denver City? What What was the detail behind that, do you know, Anne? It's impossible to find out, to be honest. Um, at the moment, um, even the police who have reopened the case into his murder um, just uh, nearly a year ago now, they still can't determine why um, Father Patrick Ryan was actually in Denver City in ministry. Um, as 
as I said, he, he had served in Ireland, he had served in Africa, mm. and mm. it kind of came out of the blue, I think, um, an appointment to Denver City. Now, there had been speculation, perhaps, that he may have been in a centre in New Mexico for um, for priests who were either in... Um, you know, in, in trouble with alcohol addiction mm. or possibly abuse mm. uh, allegations made against them. But that is only one line of inquiry and nothing has ever been um, proven, proven on that front. Concerned. He was very popular in his ministry, was he not, Anne? He was indeed. Um, like this time, uh, 41 years ago, in 42 years ago now, in 1981, he was... Um, quite popular and well-known um, in his parish. And so when he didn't turn up for Mass um, on either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day of 1981, his uh, parishioners were quite worried about him because I suppose, mm. you know, it's not expected that a priest wouldn't turn up for Christmas celebration Masses. Um, and in the meantime, um, there was a body found in a um, motel room, as I say, in Odessa in, in Texas. Um, and that person had checked into the hotel as a man called John Killy. But unfortunately, there couldn't be a positive identification made for that person. And when it emerged that there was um, a non-identified body as such found in um, Odessa, members of his parish actually went to Odessa and viewed the body and made the identification of Father Patrick Vine as being the man who had checked into the motel under the pseudonym of, uh, of John Killy. Now, the murder itself, um, there, there, there was a man who, who did claim that he did the murder, that he was the murderer. Yes, and, and this man um, is called James Rayossi. Mm. He was from an, an Apache reservation in New Mexico. Um, he, at that point, was 25 years of age and just three weeks before the murder, on December 6th, 1981, he was hitchhiking um, from Hobbs in New Mexico to Denver City, where he had gone to live in recent years. And Father Patrick Ryan picked him up. And in the three weeks that passed between that date of, the, of when he when Father Patrick Ryan stopped to pick him up, um, the, the two men became um, became quite friendly with each other. And um, over those three weeks, um, the the Apache American um, James Rayoff visited Father Patrick Ryan, and on one of those occasions, he said that he had been forced to engage in oral sex by Father Patrick Ryan. And that took place on December 20th, just one day before Father Patrick Ryan's murder in Odessa. Now, on the 21st of December, the date of the murder of Father Patrick Ryan, James Rios went to the house where he alleged that Father Patrick Ryan had assaulted him the night before. He said that he needed to get a lift to Hobbs in New Mexico because his own vehicle had been impounded and he didn't know anybody else in Denver City and the only person that he could think of that could take him to New Mexico to pick up his car was Father Patrick Ryan. And he said that Father Patrick Ryan apologised to him um, on that date, the day of his murder, um, for what had transpired the night before. And uh, it's a a familiar um, phrase, really, when you speak with James Rayoff today. Mm. He tells me that he forgave Father Patrick Ryan on that day for what had happened the night before. And Forgiven is the name of the podcast, yes. as you rightly mentioned earlier on, and that is because of the forgiving nature of James Rayoff, as we will find out later on. But on that day, um, Father Patrick Ryan took James Rayoff 
two New Mexicos to um, help him get his car back. And on the way back, he stayed in the motel in Odessa, booking in there as sort of um, uh, booking in there under a pseudonym of John Kelly. And that's where he was murdered that night. Now, Mr. Reyes was an unfortunate character anyway, as you say, Native American, but a gay Native American. That can't have been easy to be homosexual within that particular community who would have have had reservations about homosexuality, I suppose, Anne. Absolutely. And he would say himself that his father um, was a very conservative man. And I think for him, it was a fear of letting his father down, letting his mother down. Um, more so than the than the entire community, but he was also worried as well, obviously, about the community's um, views of of homosexuality at the time, and so he buried who he was, um, and um, I suppose he, he turned to drink and to mm. drugs as well as he would readily admit, um, and became an addict, and he blamed that um, um, for what he did 11 months after the murder of Father Passagrain because he said that he felt guilt over what had transpired on the night before the murder and on the occasion that Father Passagrain um, allegedly forced him to have oral sex with him. And he, 11 months after the murder, turned himself into the police, basically, made a phone call when he was drunk and 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 also uh, on the under the influence of drugs, and he admitted to the murder of Father Patrick Ryan, even though he had much proof that he had been over 200 miles away in Roswell in New Mexico at the time of the murder. And so even though he did actually... Um, come under the radar of the police in the early days of their investigation after the murder of Father Patrick Ryan, the only reason that he came under the spotlight again 11 months later was because of that drunken phone call. And even though he recanted again and, and said that, you know, he, he hadn't murdered Father Patrick Ryan, that he, he, he had made a false confession, he was convicted in a court of law. And tell me about the conviction <laughs> and uh, what, what was the decision around the conviction? So he was sentenced to 40 years in prison, friend, and he served um, he served 20 in prison and uh, 20 on parole um, for the murder. Um, and after after his conviction, he tried desperately to have it overturned, but it took 41 years for that to happen. And and what what I mean, you you've spoken to him, Anne. Um, as you say, he he forgives everybody. At this point, does he for for his incarceration? He does, yeah, he does. Um, he like he he took it took him many years to get a fair hearing and to get exonerated, which he was exonerated in October of this year. Yeah. Um, but he is, as I say, a very forgiving person. He doesn't hold grudges. He says that there's no point in bitterness. Um, he is very relieved to know that now there are three people who have been identified as being in the room um, in the hotel where Father Patrick Ryan was murdered um, at the time of the murder. Um, they, those three people have since died, unfortunately, but they, the police there um, in Texas have identified them from fingerprints that were found at the scene and it could only be um, identified now with the passage of time and and the the you know the evolution of technology in that area, yes, yeah. and so unfortunately he spent many years under the cloud of doubt. But he's very relieved now, um, and he says that he even forgives the prosecutors who fought so hard to make sure that um, that he would be um, found 
guilty of the murder. And, and you talk about the three people who possible suspects and, and they've passed away at this point, but is it a case that the belief is now that all three were involved in the murder or was there one of these people who was the perpetrator? How, how does that work, Anne? They're not sure. Um, all they know is that there was a very violent struggle in the room. There was blood um, all over the room. There was a broken door. There was damage to the bed. There was damage to um, light fittings. Everything in the room, basically. Um, so it, it looked to have been a very violent scene on the night. They know that there was a, at least one other person in the room, as well as the three who have been identified from the fingerprints that were lifted from things like beer cans that were in the room. It appears that there may have been a party on the night. Um, the reason for the murder still has not been um, you know, established as such and that's why police were trying to find out why uh, Father Patrick mm-hmm. Ryan was in the US um, for those three years before he was murdered and um, was there any specific reason um, that these three men had um, been in the room, had targeted him. Um, they they know that his accordion, his chalice that he carried with him everywhere um, were taken um, on the night of the robbery. His car was also stolen and later found in New Mexico as was his wallet and cards and money. Um, but there was um, like there was no there is no evidence on why he was murdered so brutally. Um, they do know that as I say three men who had you know, fingerprints on, mm. on the system were identified. They do know that there's one other person who was in the room, um, but they cannot mm. find a link for the fingerprints of that person, and, and so that person remains unknown. And was I reading, Anne, that one of the three, did he take his own life with a cyanide uh, pill uh, before making a confession or something? Was there something about that? <laughs> well, there, he wasn't one of the three that were in the room, but there is speculation that there may have been a connection with that person. So that person was, um, he walked into a church in Boise in Idaho, um, further north from Texas. Um, he took cyanide and he died in the um, in the church. And when he when his body was examined, there was a note on it. It was signed William L. Toomey. And initially that was thought to be his name, but it was discovered that William L. Toomey was actually the name of a company in the US which manufactured clerical garb. So it's it's unknown if that man's name really was William L. Toomey or did he have some connection to the clergy himself. He, um, he wore distinctive clothing which uh, were traced to... Um, were traced to Arizona, to a shop in Arizona. So it's known that he was obviously from that area or connected to that area. And there was a number of murders of priests in um, in a belt of that area, including Texas as well, in the early 1980s. And Father Patrick Ryan was just one of a number of mm. uh, priests who were killed in that period of time. And so investigators and the Innocence Project of Texas who backed James Reyes's case they were examining whether there was a link between the Boise John Doe and mm. case of Father Patrick Ryan. So far, there has been no connection made, but it is strongly felt that it is a possibility that that man had some connection to the murderers, whether he was a priest or had carried out um, a murder himself. He apparently seemed to be waiting to have his confession heard when he died, but his confession was not heard because he died before he got to the confessional. My God, is it a possibility then that there was a serial killer uh, in operation there at one stage where, where priests were concerned. Is that is that a possibility? That is one um, line of investigation that, that police um, have 
trying okay. to help try to follow up, but it's it's impossible, I suppose, forty one years on to at, actually at get this that point. clarified. Well, I don't want to particularly talk ill of the dead, but it is documented. Father Patrick Ryan, he did tend to pick up hitchhikers, did he, along the way? Yes, he did. Um, there was a number of hitchhikers, I think, um, who would have come across him in um, in the US, um, certainly. But it isn't known, really, what transpired on those occasions. But the police do wonder why he would have been using a pseudonym when he booked into the Sand and Sage Motel. And also, it is, um, it is critical as well that James Reyes didn't know his real name. When he picked up James Reyes, he told him his name was John. And James Reyes only discovered that he was a priest when he dropped him home. And he told him that he was a priest. And he, James Reyes did not know that his actual name was Father Patrick Ryan until after the murder. And he found out on television and press uh, coverage of the murder that his name was actually Father Patrick Ryan. He always thought his name was Father John. He is buried in Dune, as we say. So he, he's brought, his body was brought back, Anne. Yes, his body was brought back. And after a, um, a, a big, um, very large uh, funeral mass in Texas before his remains were brought back to Ireland, um, the... His bishop in in Texas um, was quite effusive in his tributes to him. And similar here, um, there was, um, you know, a a big funeral in Dune. Um, Unfortunately, there's nobody in Dune who seems to remember him now or don't want to talk about him or about the murder. But his gravestone there um, speaks very highly of him and says that he will never be forgotten. But it's quite tragic that... He seems to have been in his native land, at least. Um, and most of his relatives now, if they're, uh, all of his siblings, I think, are deceased. He does have nieces and nephews, as far as I'm aware, but all of those are in the US. He was a musician, of course, and I think the image in the graveyard in Dune has him with, with his accordion that was so so special to him, wasn't it? It was. So it was quite sad that that that, that was never found afterwards. Um, and I know that the silver chalice that he carried everywhere with him um, was very special to him as well um, and that has never been recovered either. And it's the most remarkable story. What reaction are you getting to this, Anne? People are astounded by it, um, fascinated by it. Uh, I think the, the reason I was drawn to it myself to explore it and to, and to do um, the podcast was because I had done a piece um, and had spoken briefly with James Rayoff back in, I think it was February, and I just found it fascinating. I found him fascinating as a as an individual as well. And just, yeah, I suppose people are astounded that he's so forgiving after 41 years, um, you know, with his life on hold, basically. And now he's a 67-year-old man who has suffered a severe stroke in the last year and is trying to recover from that. And you kind of wonder what quality of life is ahead of him even though it should be starting just now with the exoneration having been granted. He he did get a payout, did he not, uh, because of his incarceration? Uh, what was it, a couple of million dollars, was it? He hasn't gotten it yet, but that is now going through the process, so right. he will be entitled to at least $2.6 million um, for the years that he has served. And uh, as far as I know, there will be... Um, you know, that, that there is a process involved in that, but mm. uh, it's under statute in Texas... Um, so he, he will be receiving um, a big payout on this. But for him, he seems to be a man of simple means. All he wants to do is to return and, as he said to me, see the snowy mountains of New Mexico and uh, reunite with his family because even though he was on parole, he wasn't allowed to leave Texas. So he has spent 
the last uh, 10 to 12 years living in halfway accommodation basically in Austin and Texas so he is looking forward to come back to New Mexico he I think to him money isn't isn't it it's, it's the exoneration is the important part well it's the most amazing story the podcast is called Forgiven how can people have a listen to that Anne? Um, it's available on the exam- uh, the Irish Examiner website, so go to www.irishexaminer.com. All right. We appreciate you making time for us, and Look after yourself, and a happy Christmas to you. Thank you. Happy Christmas to you, Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye to you there. And uh, Anne Murphy, a reporter with the Irish Examiner and host of that podcast, called Forgiven. I'm sure you'll agree it's a, the most amazing story. Um, we'll take a break. Back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, a listener was in touch to say that luggage was left behind by a family on the 6.30 train from Houston to Limerick. The family were getting off at Ballybrophy. Now, it was a Christmas-themed bag and the listener dropped it into Thurless Station so uh, it can be collected uh, there. And uh, this concerned person wants to put it out there because it could be a child's uh, bag. So if you can help with that, uh, you might let us know and we can sort of put everybody in touch. So uh, 83 Now, it's been announced that a design team has been hired to come up with new plans for the Clonmel Arms Hotel. The site, owned by Sarsfield Developments, is located in the centre of Clamville Town, as you know. The new owners are planning to submit a planning application in the new year after undergoing weeks of demolition work on the old derelict building. Local resident and business advisor Liam Kiley joins me now. Liam, good morning to you. Well, good morning, Fran, and good morning, listeners. And thanks, thanks for coming on with us today, Liam. You have some reservations, Liam, about the possibility of a, of a new application. I, 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 I do, just because of the nature of the planning system in Ireland. But look, firstly, I mean, I, like everybody else from Clamell, is absolutely delighted to see um, that, that somebody, uh, a, a company and a group of investors have taken on this really important site in the town. It's been vacant, as we know, for 18 years now. And the, there has been a grant of planning there for the last few years. I think it's from late 2009, if, 2019, mm. if, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, and the design is, is really excellent. It does appear to be a very high-quality design. I'm not connected to any of the parties in, yes. involved in the hotel or, or, or the investment group. I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not part of that, so I'm not speaking out of turn anywhere. But when I saw over um, Friday and Saturday a number of quotations that said there was a new planning application going in, I was just really worried because, uh, A, they've torn the old building down. It's pretty much gone at this stage. Uh, and as welcome as it is, uh, you know, the, the new construction won't be starting. Uh, it's not going to be starting in January anyway, Fran, that's for sure. And the problem really is that if this is a brand new, total brand new application, um, it may not be. But if it is that, uh, it, it, then this hotel won't be getting built it, it, reasonably soon at all. Because um, with the best people in the world, the Tipperary County Council, they're very good. They're very supportive. They want this done as fast as anybody else. I have no doubt about any of those things. But the problem is our national planning legislation is really not functioning very well. It hasn't been for the last 15 plus mm-hmm. years, certainly mm-hmm. not since the, um, uh, it, it, the amendment from made to the planning legislation. And I do understand that there is new legislation coming forward, but the chances of that happening before um, before a likely general election in 2024 is, is really down at, around the... the so so with your experience, Liam, um, if it is a new application, are, what are you talking about, a year? 
Oh, you're talking several years. No, it won't be. It won't be one year. Now, granted, the you know, somebody could argue back that look, all the major hurdles have been overcome in terms mm. of the what gets preserved, what doesn't, how the site is used. A lot of the bigger issues are, are solved, so it wouldn't be um, starting wouldn't from be scratch. Essentially, it wouldn't it's not a yes. battle from start. Yeah, from yeah. scratch all over uh, all over again. Now, the other the other possibility is. Um, and you know, if there is somebody in the investment group willing to talk about it at some point in the future, that that'd be great. But if if um, if it's an amendment uh, mm. or a, or a series of small amendments, then it, it it would be a shorter time frame. You'd be hoping that 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 they could be getting construction underway in in in, in late 2024, mid to late 2024. But if this is a if it's a brand new planning a, a application, Brian, it won't be happening. It, the construction won't be happening in 2024, that's for sure. Right. If it is amendment or amendments to to existing uh, planning, um, what what would we be talking about time-wise there, Liam? Oh, you'd be down into the three to six month time frame then yeah. if, if it's an amendment one. And I'm hoping to God that, um, like everybody else, I'm sure, is that it is just amendments to the planning rather than a totally brand new design. Because once you open it up to a, a brand new design or even the amendments, I mean, clearly... It's still a, a planning application process that has to be gone through. Um, you know, people have the right to uh, object. You know, uh, on Toshka, go um, and object to everything. They're serial objectors and they've held up developments unnecessarily uh, and inappropriately across the country. I mean, they do some good work, but I think they do as much damage as they do good work uh, by being overzealous on a lot of these things. Um, you know, we've got to bring our town centres up to 21st century, modern day, um, viability and and usage capacity, and that you know that that's been very slow to happen. A lot of town centres are suffering. Uh, in fact, some are suffering worse than than Clamell for sure. Um, but the council have been great in terms of. I mean, they've got a great promotion going at the moment to try and um, get some of the derelict buildings. There's large, quite large government grants now for mm. the refurbishment of derelict mm. buildings. The Even though the uptake on that hasn't been amazing, Liam. Well, well, it, it hasn't been amazing, no. Because look, when you're if you're getting a grant of fifty thousand and the and the job of work is four hundred thousand, it isn't. Yeah, you know, the construction costs yeah. have gone up quite yeah. a lot, unfortunately. And you know, that's just the world we live in. Yes, and getting uh, people to do the work, of course, is a challenge now as well. Getting people to do the work it? is also a challenge, and yeah. also access to capital is a little trickier now. Um, over the last eighteen months, I'm hearing from from some of my sources that um, you know. If banks are less willing to to, to lend uh, into development situations than they were, say, uh, a few years ago, that 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 has the access to capital has tightened up. So I think that's the real reason that um, that that's happened. And the other, of course, the other thing then as well is is insurance for a lot of older buildings in the town has been a challenge, and people have underestimated just just what a challenge that can be. If you have an old building with a retail unit on the bottom and the capacity to put residential upstairs. I mean, how many buildings do you see in Clamell and Carrick and Featherton and all the other towns at Tipperary where, you, you, you know, you might have something on the ground floor. Of course, you may not. It may be a closed shop. But if it, even if you do have a shop there, there is a vacant space overhead. Sure, yeah. And at a time when there's a chronic shortage of residential accommodation. I mean, right now in Clamell, if you wanted to buy a house or rent a house, I don't think you could because they're not available. Uh, and there's no houses being constructed apart from a small few up in Glen Connor, which are which is a very 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 slow development. They're not coming on stream quickly at all. So there's there's very very little housing, uh, but yet you have all these empty properties. The government are giving grants, but uh, people don't under people haven't looked at the insurance side of that. And um, it's been very challenging for people for you know for for owners of those buildings to get insurance where you have retail on the ground floor and residential overhead.
Um, yeah, it's very, very, very interesting. Where the Clanmel Arms is concerned, I mean, you said yourself how, how delighted you are that the development is taking place, and, and where there's universal positivity about this, would that not influence the, the planning decision to move it along quickly, Liam, or does that play a part in anything? Well, the, well, my experience of the last 20 years is, you know, even groundswell support and desire and even support from the council, doesn't it doesn't mean that the process, the planning process gets changed. Uh, you know, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't really. And, you know, you, you can have anybody coming in. I mean, there's, it, it, the planning process is too open to abuse. We've seen some abuse reports in RT and, and whatnot. I don't want to get into that at all, but there has been abuse. I'm not saying this is happening here, but, mm. you know, the planning process, the planning process, it has been open to abuse lately and it, it takes um, it takes the time it takes. You know, the council must respond within a certain time. That absolutely is fine. But then um, you've got a process where where somebody can appeal what you want to do to unbroke the NOLA and if that happens, you're, you know, nothing will happen in 2024, whether it's an amendment or not. But everybody, I mean, of course the town is supportive on this. This is a huge investment for the town. It's going to cost I would estimate it'll cost 25 to 30 million euros to make this construction as per the plans that I've seen, the publicly available ones. Um, and that's a big investment in the town centre, and you'd hope that that will uh, lever other investments in the town. There's a couple of other buildings um, that are that are getting done. Of course, the big eyesore in the town, once the, once the Clombal Arms is done, is the... Um, Market Square mm. site. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Which is appalling. Uh, and and as a business advisor yourself, Liam, mm-hmm. what would you advise should be done with Market Square, for example? Uh, it needs to be torn down, unfortunately. That was a poorly conceived development from the very beginning. Um, you know, there was a big supermarket there originally. Yeah. It was originally Superquin, then Super Value bought it. But they didn't have enough access to parking to sustain a store of that size. And that's the real reason that closed. And, and torn down. Them. You think that that's the only option there, really, is it? Well, well it is. Um, it, wow. Sorry, the, 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 maybe not the part where the super value or super uh, quint mm. was. That, that's a large building. But if you look at the other, you know, the T-junction kind of pedestrianised um, yes. retail streets yeah. there, look, there's too much retail in the town. They're not viable. Um, it's not viable in terms of the quantity of the number of retail units in there. And most particularly, it's not viable because those retail units are far, far too small. They're not economic for a retail uh, for a retail operation in the current day and age. If you look at all the costs that they have to pay, I mean, the rates issue there was solved years ago. Yeah. Um, but, you know, by the time you've, you've paid staff, paid the rent, paid all the bills that you have to pay, those units are far too small. So They're is it accommodation eventually we, we should be looking at there? Is well, that... I, 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 I would suggest um, a leisure or uh, um, a leisure and entertainment use of some kind could be could be put in there, um, you know, some sort of a, even kind of regional county county wide leisure and entertainment centre um, would be one potential use. You could put that into where the supermarket was, yeah. and then the other part, I would I would tear them down. Unfortunately, I mean, some of them can look pretty if you stand back and look at them. Um, uh, but apartments. I mean, what what's wrong with you know modern proper? You know, people sometimes think in in, um, in towns around the country that, that apartments aren't a great solution, but they can be if they're designed well. Uh, you don't even have to, you know, if, if they're spacious and have sufficient light coming in, they can be very attractive. And there's a lot of people that will want to live in the town. Mm-hmm. You know, it's too yeah. expensive to run a car. If you have a young family and uh, a couple of kids and you need to bring them to school every day, you can walk them to school. You know, there's, there's a lot to be said for quality space uh, quality living accommodation at the town centre. That's one use. And th- there is an alternative use for that that I had 
that I had in mind, and I don't. It's probably too big for it. But you, you know, it'd be a great site for a farmers market as well, or you know, a, a market. Wouldn't for some adjust, yeah. County. Yeah. You know, so you could use some of it for a farmers market, some of it for accommodation, and then put leisure and entertainment down where the supermarket was. Yeah, there's plenty. There's, yeah. there's no shortage of ideas. And, for and that. as I know, with my other entertainment hat on me, we badly need some form of auditorium in in There's in no it, venue. Tipper. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's, leisure, there's no venue like that. No proper venue like that. Yeah. To to like um, the INEC that would hold like four thousand people or something like well, that. Well, we need but, something that brings people into Clonmel. Yeah, Clonmel yeah. has fallen behind uh, some of the you know uh, you know as a, as a young fellow going around Clonmel in the 1980s, you know. Clamell was as good as Kilkenny or Galway, even yeah. or some of the other towns. Now it's fallen behind, and some of that is because um, you know the town was not put in in kind of strategic development plans for the for the country, and um, largely because it was a prosperous and busy place, and and they thought they, that they didn't need to. But because they haven't, it's now fallen behind, and it needs an extra an extra push. So given all the arms, every help it can get is is part of that, and. Um, helping them get through the planning and hopefully there'll be no objections and hopefully it is an amendment, not a brand new one. Well, a most uh, most interesting conversation, Liam, and, and thanks for yeah. your time today. We appreciate You're it. You're very welcome, Fran. Thank you. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank, Thank you for you. the invitation. Bye-bye, Thank you Bye-bye. 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 That is business advisor Liam Kiley speaking to us there. Um, 1800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Oh, I was just chatting to uh, business advisor Liam Kiley there and he was expressing his concerns, I suppose, about uh, the planning where the um, Clonmel Arms is uh, concerned. I'm glad to be joined now by Councillor Michael Murphy. Good morning to you, Michael. Uh, good morning, Fran. And thanks so much for your time the, the, this morning. Can you fill us in on, on some of what Liam was saying to us there and some of his concerns there, Michael? Uh, yes, yeah, so look, first of all, in the context of Marketplace, I fully agree with what Liam uh, has said, and I've been very clear myself, the owners of Marketplace have given enough of time, and it's time to CPO uh, Marketplace and look at it in the context of other potential mm-hmm. uses. But just on the clam alarm, uh, Fran, it was myself that intervened at last Wednesday's meeting uh, of the Clonmel Borough District on behalf of uh, the new owners of the site, uh, Sarsfield Development uh, Limited. I think it's important just to take a step back. They only took ownership of the site uh, in the last six weeks and already they've secured a demolition licence mm-hmm. and demolition is almost complete. And I think it was very important for them that uh, the site was demolished. It was an unsafe site and it was also the subject of significant uh, antisocial behaviour sure. We're seven or eight weeks on from them taking ownership of the site, and I can confirm that they've already uh, retained a new design team. And the first meeting between the new owners and the design team is going to take place uh, in the second uh, week of January. Yes, there is a grant of planning permission uh, on the site. I know there are concerns about the scale of that development and, more importantly, the costs associated with bringing that development uh, to fruition. So what the new developed, uh, new owners are looking at is amendments to that planning application. And Liam is absolutely right. Um, planning can take up to a number of years, mm. but that's on the condition that there is an objection to the planning application that's lodged with Tipperary County Council. The new owners hope to lodge an application in the first quarter of next year. And that's a planning application that can be delivered and finally granted by Tipperary County Council if there are no objections. 
But of course, Liam is absolutely right. If there's an objection, it will go to the board. And thereafter, yes, it can take a further 12 to 18 months. But one would hope, and given the importance of the site, that people, that there will be no objections, that the developers will have the support of the local community um, in the context of any new application. But they are absolutely uh, committed, Fran, to driving on uh, with the development uh, of the Sarsfield site. Yeah, and I'm not sure how scientific it is, Michael, but I know that the reaction that we got to uh, the fact that Sarsfield developments had begun the demolition, it was all positive. So, you know, I mean... Uh, very, 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 very positive. Uh, my only comment, uh, since they took ownership of the site, Fran, I never give anyone the uh, impression, I'm not on public record saying that, you know, the original planning permission was going to be pursued. I made my first intervention last Wednesday's meeting confirming that it would be the subject of a new uh, planning application. But again, I want to stress that it's modifications to the existing uh, planning permission, but I wanted to be straight up, yes, it will be the subject of a new uh, planning application. Right. And just for my own clarity now on this, because I'm not fully across planning applications, but like amendments, that that's very different to a brand new planning application, though, isn't yes, it? Yes, if it's a brand new planning application, when you sit down with a design team, you're starting with a blank piece of paper, huge and huge amount involved, uh, different teams involved in terms of traffic, everything, you know, um, um, so many different aspects to preparing a planning application. A lot of that groundwork is now done. In other words, that does not have to be repeated. And a lot of the preliminary work that has done on the previous application does not need to be repeated. In other words, a planning application can be lodged uh, in a timely manner. And I know it's the goal of the new owners to have that lodged in the first quarter of um, mm. next year. And if there are no objections, that's a planning application then that can be delivered on by Tipperary right. County Council within 12 weeks. But, but my understanding is that it's a very different vision for the hotel that was the original application, if you know what I mean. In terms of my discussions uh, with the new owners, it's amendments to the existing planning permission. Okay, okay. All right, very interesting. And as you say, what uh, Liam had to say about Marketplace was interesting as well. And, you know, I, I do a lot of work in Killarney, Michael, as you know, and the INEC brings so many people to Killarney. We could badly do with an auditorium, you know, whether it's in Clonmel or any of our major towns. Wouldn't it be fantastic? Look, I, I fully support Liam. Uh, and if you check the public record, and I've been previously on Tip FM calling for alternative uses, I've mentioned uh, the Super Quinn building as a performance Mm. Uh, space, as you suggest, Fran. I've discussed a residential retirement type village uh, application for the wider site as well, along with some retail, commercial. Uh, but look, uh, as I said, the new owners have been sitting on Marketplace or the those owners, Remcall, for I think 10, 12, 14 years. Enough is enough. And I think the pressure of a CPO will really focus minds uh, on Marketplace. I think mm. there's potential for uh, the local authority to partner with private development in terms of moving Marketplace along. But yes, Marketplace, the Clamel Arms are two strategic sites. We have progress on the Clamel Arms site. We need progress on the uh, Marketplace uh, site as well. Right. When do you think we might, I know this is a difficult one for you, but when do you think we might see some progress where a CPO would be concerned or something like that? Well, I flouted the idea. My understanding is that there's now, as we speak, engagement between the uh, REMCOL organisation and the local authority. Some suggestion that a planning application will be imminent on that side as well. 
But in the context, while I'm much more confident on the Clamwell Arm side, as I found to your friend, um, I'm very pessimistic about progress. Um, on, I have no confidence in the owners uh, of Marketplace and happy to put that on the record as well. Right, and and just a final one, Michael. I mean, Liam spoke that, you know, maybe demolition would be the only answer in that area as well. Um, do, you, do you go along with that? Um, I'm not I, I'm not a structural engineer. Uh, when I walked through Marketplace, and I did yesterday as well, some of the units um, look uh, fit for purpose. But look, yeah. in terms of having a wider vision for the site and other uses, I think there's no question but parts of Marketplace, uh, and particularly the former Super Quinn building, uh, that looks particularly uh, poor structurally, as opposed to the smaller units, I can see I see no other option or other than demolition on that part of the site. It's, it's such a pity, because we all had such great hopes around the time that that was developed, you know that. You know. Yeah, a lot of a lot of positive hopes at the yeah. time, but unfortunately, it's um, it's one of the big challenges that we have. Probably one of the main challenges we have in the context of the prime retail area, yet marketplace. Um, as I said, you know, yeah. we have investment down the Clamell Arms site, and I hope that's a catalyst for further investment and perhaps uh, in particular for marketplace as well. Well, wouldn't it be great, Michael? We appreciate your time. Happy Christmas to you and your family, and Michael. In case I don't get to talk team, to you, yeah, and the listeners as well. Thank you, Frank. thanks, Michael. Thank you. Bye bye. You know that is uh, Councillor Michael Murphy speaking to us there. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the final hour of uh, Tip Today. A listener says Clanmel was a market town and this brought people into the town. Uh, it didn't have any tourist uh, attractions. It's important to bring the market town back and I believe uh, turning market marketplace into an English market and townhouses and apartments would bring people back in to uh, the centres. And that's into us on 0833113311. All right, delighted to be joined in the studio now by the chairman of Tipperary Tourism and a man who... Uh, talks to us quite often about walking and yes, yes. makes me feel bad about myself and all of that. John G. O'Dwyer, how are you, John? Uh, very, very well. I, I noticed you kind of sidled out of our walks and uh, somehow passed the, the baton on to Alison. Well, you, you see, know, this, this is it. I, I, needed nice I needed her to get her fitness levels up to mine. I needed her to get her fitness levels up to mine, John. Yeah, well, actually, I can just show you she's well ahead now so you can come <laughs> back and start again. It's you time know? for me to go back. Talk to me about walking over Christmas because there's lots of options, is yeah. there not, John? Yeah, I always find that myself. Maybe it's me, but you you start off, you know, Christmas Day, look forward to it on Christmas Day. And by St. Stephen's Day, and then maybe the following day, you're suddenly saying, we're sitting around the house, we're all looking at each other. Yes. We're either going to fight or we've got to get get out of here, you know, because yeah. of pressure cooker. And some people do organise them, and they're very good. And one that's been going now for over 20 years, and that's for the Lark Cancer Charity. That was a cancer charity that was set up by a Templemore woman, uh, Claire Bohan, uh, when her sister passed away from uh, from cancer. So if you're raising funds from that, and we go out from, goes out from Kilea Village, and the great thing about that is it's on the 27th, the day after St. Stephen's Day. But if you've gone out, as I say, and burned the candle at the two ends, maybe burned the candle at the three ends, <laughs> you'll be glad to know there's a good long walk going off at 10.30 on the 27th from Kilea Community Centre. But there's also then, if you have been burning the candle, there is also a walk at 12 o'clock, an easier walk. And, you know, it's there's no... It, you give a donation and that's it to Lark 
and it's a great way of getting out and meeting friends as well as that in fact there's too late to talk about it now but I had a great time last night out at the upper church night walk Very good. and that's you know you go along to there and you see all the twinkling lights and that kind of thing there's something fantastic about that met lots of old friends I'm sure you'll yeah. do it again on the 27th so that's the 27th from Kille good walk at 10.30 and then a moderate walk then at 12 o'clock on the Devil's Bit mm. you have Mount Mellory in here as yeah, well I love yeah. it. Mount Mellory has transformed itself I mean you know in the past you have to find a role for itself. They had a boarding school. They had a lot of things like that, a farm and that. Now there's less monks. But what they're doing is now, they're transforming. I think what they're doing is they're tapping into how walking and mindfulness and spirituality all come into each together. And they do retreats there. But what they've now gotten are circular walks that go out from Mount Mallory. And I was only in Mount Mallory a couple of days ago, and I was amazed how it had been transformed. I'd never seen walkers there before. Mm. There was walkers coming in all the time. And of course it's on St. Ecton's Way and they're about to open a hostel for that as well as that so I think it's a new role for the Abbey as well as that and you know I, I one thing I always did, the, the goodwill that's there towards Mount Mallory, everybody even people who aren't religious think my god it should go on, so they have a walk then a fundraising walk and it's uh, 14 kilometres that goes up through the woods above uh, Mount Mallory up to a place called Burns Bridge but there's lots of stuff along the way like the source which is a canal that mm. seems, seems to flow up up uh, hill uh, and that anyway it will be very interesting and uh, tw- December the 28th so that's on Thursday and 10am registration there and you know and there'll be a cup of coffee and that afterwards always good I often think the walks are just a way of people bringing people together and very that's good. the and is there walking centre is that in development or is that already well the walks are already in place yeah, yeah but the centre itself is that well the, the, what you're talking about the, the hostel isn't the open yet but that's okay. to open early for, for the coming season Season. And Excellent. lots of people are really saying, I'd love to do St. Ecton's Way, but on the way then, on the six nights, I want to spend one of them in Mount Mallory Abbey. Yeah. And yeah. I do, do, you know, would it, those people who say that to me, I wouldn't consider them, them notably religious. But there's a great piece about that Abbey. So the two of us were down there, weren't I, we? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. You know, yeah. and the feeling in the church there is absolutely incredible, isn't it? Yeah, and you can come in then to some like uh, vestors are complying, yeah. all that kind of thing, the monks are coming in chanting. The plane chanting, it is wonderfully exotic there. I think it's a treasure and hopefully, you know, we can support it and keep it going. Because it's a very big... Uh, monastery there for relatively few months and the costs are astronomical. I, I, I can well imagine indeed and of course I'm sure we'll get to it before we finish but accommodation and to know that accommodation is coming on stream, yeah. it's so important to the It is, thing, absolutely. It? That is one of the problems, you know, what I think has happened and kind of my tourism hat is that there's been what I call the urbanisation of tourism. It has tended to go into the big centres. So for example you will get Killarney with, I don't know uh, seven or 8,000 beds right? And then people in Killarney will go out, visitors there will go out and they'll do the Ring of Kerry. They'll go all the way around it. But they'll only buy a cup of coffee and sandwich on the way. And other other than that, they bung up the traffic. Walking is great because it's slow travel. So when you're walking, you have to stay nearby the route. And that brings spending back out into rural areas and goes against the trend of urbanisation of of tourism. Like, you know, nearly a a third of all uh, uh, tourism spending in Ireland is in Dublin.
You know, it's that's the urbanisation. And we heard about what's happening in the Cliffs of Moher, for example, where it's, it's just all about traffic and then they're gone. Too, yeah, well, you know? that, that's it. I mean, look, we're getting into something else now, but over-tourism, yeah. that's a problem yeah. as well as that. You go down, we'll say, to Ennis Diamond and you'll get stuck in traffic. Dingle, yeah. you get totally stuck in traffic. I avoid Killarney like the plague in July yeah. and August because there are traffic jams all over the place. It's over-tourism. So it's even be good for Killarney if we can spread out the tourism a bit more, particularly in the high season, a more even spread is the way to go ahead with tourism. And you know, they're already now reaching a stage in Venice where you are charged if you're not living in Venice, you are charged to go in for the day. And that's to keep, believe it or not, what not to make money, it's to keep tourists out. They feel they have too many. It's interesting, isn't it? Tell me about the Nalagnamon yeah, uh, option that's then. The one, yeah, this is the one I kind of skip over because that's the time, that's the day the men are supposed to do all the cooking. <laughs> so, and, and uh, yeah. so, um, uh, we, we, you know, that gives me an opportunity to poison the entire family. But uh, No, it's great. It's going out on the 7th and it goes up from uh, Clohean Village at 10.30 and it's for the Coon Sayer Women's Refuge. I'm sure you've spoken about that Have here on, on Tip times, Today. Yes. So it's a very good thing and registration is €20 Euros there. Children, uh, children are... <coughs> excuse me, just six euros and there'll be a light lunch to follow in the Market Stone down there, which is a lovely place in Clohean as well. It's a lovely pub, but they have top-class food there as yeah. well. And I would say, anyone, if you go down to Clohean, you know, we were there now on our Holly Walk last Sunday, but what we're not going to do, we all came in, right, there was 50 of us, so we put about 25 cars there, had them there in the village the whole day. What you don't do then is you all come back and sit in and go off. So what we did is we all went into the market store. We might have only had one cup of coffee, know. but it worked yeah. out well. For us. But of course, what, what, what a boost it was for the local area then. Yeah. Um, just other dates that we might want to keep in mind, John, uh, over the, the season, I suppose. So, yeah. The other thing then is St. Declan's Way. That has now uh, reopened. Uh, sorry, it has reopened, but what we're talking about is the walk along St. Declan's Way then the dates for it so what it's going to it's a six day walk so we have March 23 and 24 over a weekend you can get one third of it done April 6 and 7 you get two thirds of it done and then April 20 and 21 so it's kind of seamless it's not like six days one after another yes. the problem with that is you tend to blister and all that kind of, course, of thing yeah. so it's seamless but you're getting the whole thing done and it's fantastic and I was up now recently there on the tip stand up at the Gifted. You heard about Gifted. Mm, I was mm. up on the stand. And believe it or not, while I was there, by far the biggest number of queries I got were about was about St. Declan's Way. So people are getting to know it, know about it there. And this will book up again and there'll be 250 or 300. But remember, if you're not on that, it's fully way marked. You can walk it yourself. But well, well it's it. not kicking off until March, is it? Well, the, you can go out today and do it. Right. This is the organised walk okay. with Knock yes. Me Down Active. But I've just, you know, I just got an email there in the last few days that there's 27 Canadians coming in in uh, in in April and would I have a chat with them on the Rock of Cashel before mm. they go off. Mm. But their people, they're coming in, they would not come to Ireland otherwise. We're St. Declan's Way not there. It's the same as the Camino. It brings in people whereas a lot of other products, people decide they want to go to Ireland and decide what they'll do. Mm. But 
the likes of St. Ecton's Way will bring people in specifically. And I would say powerful products, even like the Rock of Cashel. Nobody comes to Ireland specifically to do the Rock mm, of Cashel, mm. even though it is a wonderful project. So that's what I see. Uh, it's the way it's going, slow tourism, that kind of thing. I think that is, you know, in my time here, I hope we can strengthen St. Ecton's Way in my time as chairman of Tip Tourism. And I'm also very excited about the Elephant Saint. We were up there again, very in a flan. Lovely, lovely oh, place smashing, as well, smashing yeah. all together. Um, tell me about some charity events because the coffers are kind of dry at the moment. You've oh, yeah, well, that's, your... the way, well, that's the way we want it. Yeah. And Mid-Tip Hillwalker as well. A subcommittee, the Autumn and Spring Challenge. Like, this year we gave out 23,500 charity. Yeah. That's... Um, that you know, that's considerable, and it's great. Now we have almost no money, and it's great. That's because yeah. it, it's where it should be. And now we're starting off again in the coming year. So we organise two challenges every year, and the first one is going to be up in the Le Mans Hotel, just outside Belfast, out in the countryside. And there'll be, if you're, you know, if you really like your hill walking, you can be guided up the highest mountain in Ulster. The Mordens are an absolutely fantastic range. Uh, you know, uh, there'll be great walks to them. That might mean a lot to people, but the circuit of Ben Crom, fantastic walk. And then we'll be doing the Belfast Hills as well as that. And then, uh, the, you know, a walk in the in the park there, Belfast Castle Park, which is fantastic looking mm. down on the city and that. So again, we're hoping people will come. Now, if they want to, if they're thinking, maybe I'd like to find out more about that. It's not even open for a booking yet, right. but it's going ahead the 13th, 14th and 15th of April. But if you want to have an expression just to find out that the stuff will be sent out to you, you can get on to 086 356 5134. That's Tina and she'll take your name and then send you out the information in January about it. Very good indeed. Before I let you go, just just look forward to 2024 for me where tourism is uh, concerned. Is accommodation the big issue, John? It is really, yes, it is. I mean, um, you know, you're losing a lot of uh, productivity. I think I'm all in favour of looking after refugees and that kind of thing. I think we have to do that. What I don't think we should do, though, which we have been doing up to recently, is taking productive products out of the market because uh, they create the money that ultimately pays for the refugees that's when we start doing that that's where I think Ireland is full but if it's not a tourist product or whatever I would say that's you know fine. with the right circumstances but you, you're talking about hotels that are up and running and commercially successful but giving over a portion to or even giving it over entirely, entirely and they're incentivizing yes. the owners you never have to do any marketing anymore yes. it's a lot easier you're guaranteed there and I think that has been unfortunate because you're missing the spin-off mm. effects now if you're looking overall, we did carry out a survey with Tip Tourism here. And the answer is, Falsh Ireland carried it out, is that compared to 2022, 2023 was better for tourists. But Falsh Ireland will say, hurry, we're up. We are up on 2022, but if you compare it with 2019, we are down a lot and we're struggling there. Which, and it is, which is the right comparison, really. That because is the this correct is comparison. Pre, and pre-COVID, has of come, course. Yeah. Come back to that. But yeah. you know the way, everybody will, uh, maybe, we all do to no extent, we'll spin do a bit of a spin. Figures, spin, so, spin yeah, the figures. Yeah, yeah. So we've got to get out there and work really hard it's a tough industry it will it will come back but i don't believe i believe we should not take any more accommodation out of the system that's the main thing i mean you wouldn't do it we'll say for example i passed in here by an industry we'll say i passed in here by supermax or mm. tesco or mm. one of those you know 
you wouldn't if somebody said we'll close that down and we'll give it over to refugees and the jobs will go mm. there'd be an outcry but the jobs aren't as obvious in tourism that's why you can get away with it and right, I think we should have to stop at that yeah alright John well it's always good to see you and uh, thanks very much indeed we look forward to talking about walking in uh, 2024 <coughs> happy Christmas to you and many the happy returns thanks. and thanks, thanks for having John. me on I'm thanks sure I'll talk much. to you in the new year look forward to it uh, coming up on uh, 18 past 11 back in just a moment Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. Now, the skincare industry is worth millions in this county and two Tipperary women have entered the game with a rather unique product. And our reporter, Alison Highland, went out to find out a little more. <laughs> Bonor is a unique skincare line that has been created and developed by two Tipperary women. Nicola Lyons from Clarehan and Elaine Cross from Cashel have combined over 20 years of pharmacy, farming and food experience to create the line which uses sheep's milk as its basis, giving it a unique selling point. I travelled up to meet Nicola and Elaine who told me where the idea came from. So myself and Nicola have been friends for years and um, during COVID we were actually sitting here in my uh, in my kitchen here in Cashel and we were chatting to my brothers who are milking sheep and they were telling us about the different ingredients um, I suppose because Nicola is a pharmacist and works in um, medicated skincare they started telling her about how the ingredients can actually be really good in skincare and um, I suppose that was the grain of the idea and then my dad was telling me he used to shear sheep that actually he always naturally had really soft hands because from the lanolin in the wool. So that was, I suppose, the grain of an idea. And when we we worked on it for two years before launching last Christmas, sheep milk is a unique ingredient. Um, you know, it's not that common here in Ireland. We're obviously like sheep are synonymous, but for meat and wool. And my brothers are looking at it from... Um, I suppose, a diversification perspective because we're really good at dairy and we're really good at grass-based production. So this could be a, a really nice alternative to cow's milk. Yeah. Um, but it is really, like sheep milk is well-renowned around the world for being really nutritious. And it's already really common in a lot of cheeses mm. and for its um, healthy ingredients. But also it's starting to be used in skincare in other countries like New Zealand. Yeah. So I suppose we've taken a lot of inspiration from them. I think a lot of people, when they think of what sheep's milk might taste like, they might think it's similar maybe to goat's milk. Is that the case? So it would have similar properties, but it tastes really nice, unlike goat's milk. Um, it's actually that bit sweeter and that yeah. bit thicker than cow's milk. Um, and I suppose for all the reasons that you might eat sheep milk or drink sheep milk, you would use it for the skin. So tell me about the properties in sheep's milk that make it especially good for skincare. Yeah, so it's high in fats, vitamins, proteins, minerals, all the good stuff. Um, so we did our initial research we could um, detect that it was high in like vitamin A which is very good for the skin so we've actually been working um, through our local enterprise which has been very good to us in Clamel we have got some grants and we did some research with Shannon ABC in Trilly IT Munster Technological University so we did some studies with them on the products that have the sheet milk so the lotion and the wash we did some comparative studies against some other leading brands and we were able to prove that it's good for collagen production which is anti-aging um, antioxidant production which helps you against all the, I suppose, the barriers every day that we come against, um, you know, pollution, things in the environment. So, and then it's also just good for skin barrier protection. So overall, then we launched then the body care collection based on this. Um, it's all natural 
and we have a four piece body set at the moment. So we have a butter scrub, which is exfoliating. And then we have a lotion and wash, which contain the milk. And then we have a wool body oil, which is actually made from lanolin from the wool. Yeah. Um, so they're all moisturizing, hydrating, nourishing for the skin. And we actually have it scented with lavender, geranium and langley lang. So we kind of wanted to keep to the natural land scent. And we had such popular feedback on the scent that we actually just launched a candle for Christmas. So <laughs> we have that now in a set yeah. as well. So we're very much focused on the body for the time being and we're going to um, do further research in 2024 yeah. and then um, branch into different pod- product pipelines based on that then. I'm amazed at the wool aspect of it because when I think of sheep's wool, I think it's coarse and it's dry and it's, you know, not very nice. How does that um, change then to be something that's really beneficial in terms of the oil for the skin? So the lanolin um, is used for, it's used in a lot of different cosmetics. It's very widely available for the skincare and I suppose it's just, it's hydrating. Um, so it kind of locks the moisture onto the skin. For our body oil, it's particularly, we find it, it's multi-purpose. So we, pregnancy, it's used a lot. People use it on their feet, on their beards and their hair. Um, and particularly people find out of the shower on damp skin um, that you put it on and it's just extremely hydrating. Um, so that's been, it's very popular at the moment mm. for, I suppose it's multi-purpose. Yeah. And the lanolin is the, is the main ingredient in that. And it's also in the scrub then. And we also use um, Irish sea salt from Connemara for the exfoliation. So that's yeah. mixed with the lanolin in our scrub. Um, and yeah. it's kind of a butter scrub. Can I ask you both, I mean, this is a billion euro industry, the skincare industry. Is it very daunting? I mean, you're both young women going into an industry like that. I suppose we've taken our time. We spent two years developing it. We've also taken great inspiration, you know, in terms of all the, well, first of all, the amazing food that we produce here. But then secondly, the amazing skincare brands that have come out of here using seaweed, using moss, using, so why not sheep milk? Um, Myself and Nicola went to um, one of the biggest global beauty shows in the world in Milan last year, in Italy last year. And um, we we wanted to see what was out there, like what will, and actually the amount of milk products there was amazing. Everything from camel to uh, cow to donkey to to uh, even snails, there was everything. So we we've taken kind of great, um, like I suppose, comfort, inspiration, and everything in that. Mm-hmm. That like there is space for milk products out there, yeah. um, and also it's giving people choice. But I think we can definitely build another big brand from Ireland, yeah. and why not? Um, and I suppose we're we're not twenty two. And we feel that, like, we have the experience behind us. We both, um, you know, we're coming from, uh, you know, work that is relevant, I suppose, as well. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, no, so we definitely feel we can uh, take it to the next level. You heard it here first. Sheep milk is the next big skincare ingredient. But it's not a new concept, is it? Because Cleopatra was famous for it. And that's it. Like, milk it has always been used in medicinal skincare. Yeah. And, like, dairy farmers nowadays might not appreciate because it's so mechanised. But back when they were doing it by hand, like it, they had the softest hands, I'd say. Yeah. So it is such a nat- naturally, we know milk is really good for the skin. Yeah. So we know that with um, kind of the work, the ingredients and everything that we can do, it'll, it'll take it to the next level. Can I ask about your own background? How did you both meet? So we went to school in the Ursuline and Tipperary together. And then we're also family friends. So I'm from a sheep farm outside Clarehan and Elaine's family, um, Elaine's dad used to shear the sheep for us. So uh, we're kind of back through the years, family friends. And then yeah. school, we played hockey together in the Ursuline, getting the bus up to Thurlis. And then I suppose over COVID then we came up 
with this, we were kind of talking about both of our backgrounds. As Elaine said, I'm a pharmacist and I'm working in dermatology for years. Um, I actually have worked locally in O'Gorman's Pharmacy and that in Clonmel and different things. And me and Elaine had just, as she said, we were here over the kitchen table and with her background in the food, we kind of came up with the idea then and then it's just grown then. It's like the perfect combination, isn't it? We think so. Yeah, um, yeah we say we were, we're blending like friendship, food, pharmacy, uh, farming, like food. People now in skincare want to know traceability, how it's made, where it comes from. And that's what we're looking to kind of bring across mm. into skincare. Because you have an interesting experience as well, because when a few years ago, back in the day, you used to sell sheep milk lattes, was it up by the rock? So that gives you an interesting perspective on what people want as well on terms of a unique product. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we have been milking sheep for a few years here and trying different things. Um, one of the things was doing sheep milk lattes and sheep milk ice cream to tourists at the rock. And I have to say the feedback is really good. People like trying different things. Tell me about the name then, Bone Ore, because it's white gold yeah, it's a fine. perfect name that's it and it took us a while to get to that yeah. um, like we wanted something that could pronounce but also remind us why we're doing this we and have that's... a few rows over that mm, I wouldn't say rows no, but definitely creative, different uh, creative yeah. different lots of different versions yeah. and we to pull in a lot of people and yeah. a lot of focus groups to see what we think would work and yeah. especially with the language and the photos yeah. as well but yeah. we wanted to keep true to the Irish and because yeah. that's the whatever happens Irish sheep milk will be to the core of this mm, and yeah. we um, so bone ore that's two uh, uh, two Irish words, white gold, and that is what we think sheep milk is. Um, and then our kind of tagline is the skin's shepherd. So we think like a shepherd who minds his flock, we'll also be a guardian for the skin mm. and and whatever else we end up making. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me, what's been the reaction to the products? Amazing. So we've had very popular feedback and we actually launched in a couple... So we had been selling online for a year just to kind of find our feet, but we actually have offered gift packaging now for Christmas and we find that the sets are very popular. Yeah. So we're being stocked locally. So we're in O'Dwyer's in Cashel, O'Gorman's in Clamel and Dalton's in Feathert. And we're actually available in Arnott's as well for the Christmas market. Brilliant. So we've been thrilled so far with the, um, the purchases, the feedback. People love the branding. We actually have... We're proud to tip and the Rocket Cashel that we have the Rocket cashel on the bottle now it's very subtle but you can see it in the branding so that's where the farm is and that's where we kind of wanted to keep true to the landscape um so we've had positive feedback people love the smell as well we did the horse show this year too um in the rds and we found that we had a lot of customers come back after that and people liked to trial the product and um, so yeah no, we've had very we're very happy with we had our first birthday last week oh, happy um, birthday. yeah thank you so we're thrilled at how far we've come and yeah how much the business has grown and the customers and now that we're available in shops and retail, especially for Christmas, um, we're, we're very we're happy with that. Okay, Nicola, tell me about the products then. How do people use them? Are they lotions? Are they washes? What are they? Yeah, so the products are all natural. Um, they're unisex, so it can be male or female. It's a lovely gift for someone. Um, we have their hand and body, the lotions and the washes and the oils. So they can be in the sink or they can be on in the shower, whichever. And as I said, all skin types, it's, use, it's suitable for and they're all they're multi-purpose products as well and all scented with the lavender geranium langy lang so basically it's we really wanted to have that at-home spa feel yeah. so when you use the products your bathroom smells lovely it's that five minutes that you have to yourself to have that kind of peace and the new you is what we're calling it. Oh. We know now people are used to a yo, but we have to pronounce it you to make it work. Yeah. I know, I was reading that in the press release. Yeah. They said, we don't call it you here, we call it yo. <laughs> it's not very tape, but look. Yeah. Has it been harder than you thought it would be? 
I, I definitely think the saying, if it was easy, everyone would do it, is, is yeah. very true. Um, I think it's definitely been um, like a real learning process for us. I mean, you know, even as friends starting a business, yeah. that's a different dynamic in a relationship. But also we're both working full time as well. Um, and it has been challenging. But you know what? It's been so rewarding, like mm -hmm. seeing any of the wins, like totally take from the any of the challenges. But like. We probably should film the back scenes, like if you could see what, <laughs> yeah, it, what it was. We'll have a great book if, if everything works yes. out. But, um, and that's it. It's been like family, friends, like people have been so helpful. And I have mm. to say, even other businesses in Tipperary, like Skin Formulas up in Nina, like people are so helpful. That's yeah. what I yeah. can't get over is people are so helpful, willing to help, willing to give you advice. And yeah, we, we're very grateful to like parents and family and stuff for packing boxes and everything like yeah, that. But look, late nights, yeah, like um, yeah, no, it's it's not. Uh, yeah, Instagram yeah. versus reality is definitely uh, yeah. Actually, it's does insane. social media play a big part of it now? Because I mean, everything, a lot of publicity and PR depends on social media. So is that part of your campaign and your intention as well? Yeah, no, social media is really important. It's really important for telling the story, yeah. keeping yeah. people up to date. People like to see the journey, and yeah, I think expect to now as well but um it's something we're probably not that natural at in front of the camera and uh, and speaking so it's something we have to work on ourselves and uh, this is the starting point yeah, i think here, uh, here you go yeah. and uh, this is our training ground but um so it, it's i mean you can't but do it but it also mm. gives such power to small businesses yeah. to get their story out there yeah. not um you know we, not everyone has a tip fm to help them so it's um it really is like, and it's probably something we're underusing at the moment that we need to. Um, but it's great to get more. people have we get a lot of comments and feedback mm -hmm. and likes. And especially as Elaine was saying, it's a lot of work, obviously, behind the scenes. But we're thrilled we get a lot of good reviews or yeah. when someone emails you, it makes oh, it does. so worthwhile to say, I got the products <laughs> as a gift and I love them and I'm going to be rebuying. So all those small wins make it worthwhile when you're Absolutely. kind of packing yeah. boxes in the evening. And so that, that's, yeah. you know. That's a big part of it. Tell me, what are the plans for the future? I know you probably have products in your head that you want to maybe bring on the line as well. Can, can I ask the secrets? What, what are we looking at in the future? Our, our problem is there's no shortage of ideas. Yeah. Um, and we're definitely looking into a lot of them. I suppose any product, it, it takes a lot of time, a lot of testing um, to get it to market. But you'll have to watch this space, I suppose, number one. And but we're like there's so much opportunity, I think, even within skincare, within lifestyle, within the sheep space for us to really build a mm. like our whole thing is look at tourists when they leave Ireland. Sheep. Why can't we take sheep that are so synonymous with Ireland, whether that be from the Wild Atlantic Way to the postcard they're taking home to the sheep keering that's being sold in um, a tourist shop up in Dublin and really build up that premium image for Ireland? Yeah. Tell me then, anyone who's looking to maybe check out the product line or test products or get products, how can they do that? So they can try it at bonor.ie. So that's B A N O R.ie. And then they can also check us out on Instagram at wearebonor. Um, and then as we said in the local in some local pharmacies in Tipperary as well oh, It's great to hear a success story and we wish them the very very best indeed Bon Or and uh, thanks to Ali for that piece as well uh, Keep those calls coming into Emma on 1800 938 007 The text and WhatsApp is 083 311 Don't forget you can uh, email at any time at all and that's tip today at tipfm.com <laughs> Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. 
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back. It's time to talk about travel and uh, delighted to be joined by Fergal O'Keefe of Travel Tales with uh, Fergal. Good morning to you, Fergal, and how are you? Um, so much to talk about today. Let's begin with Ryanair. Some some announcements where baggage well, is concerned. Do you know what it is? Uh, the last time I was on, I was actually talking to you about a little hack, which was, you know, if, if, if like at the start of your booking or in the middle of it, that the costs are quite high, like over about 25 euros for your bags. But if you say no to that and then you go to the very end of the process, you can then add a 10k bag and it, it works out cheaper. And um, you know, it's like Reiner listening, listening to this because since then, now what they've done is that um, if you pick a random seat, if you don't pick seating, um, they actually now say you have to go to the counter to get your ticket, which, you know, they're they're trying to make it awkward for people All to right. do the random seating and they charge for random seating. So when I was talking to you, I was saying like it was, I worked out around 16 euros versus, you know, 25 euros per person per flight. And if you're going with a family, it can get quite expensive. But since then, now they've, uh, they've made it a little bit more awkward. But even still, so now it's sort of, if you do what I was saying to do, it works out at like 22 euros. If you get a 10k bag to um, put into the hold, um, it works out at like 22 euros versus if you if you get a start process about 25 euros but it's still a saving mm, per mm, flight mm. but also if you're if it's you're checking in the bag you're still going to have to go to the check-in desk anyway so you can just get your your boarding pass there but I do they haven't they didn't announce it it just happened mm. and I even last week I got an email from them about a, about a flight and it's like you're you know, your your seating arrangements and I was thinking, Oh, here they go now, they're announcing it. They didn't even mention it in that. They just talked about, you know, your options of buying seats. Why is it in their interest though to have you going to a desk that it, would plug it, up the it's, desk? It's not at all. Right. Okay. So they're either trying to put a bit of pressure on airports maybe to right. to do deals with them right. or I would guess that it was their it's their way See what they're trying to do is get people to buy buy your buy seats because you can buy your seats. So if you do the random seats now, the person has to go to the desk. So I suppose it's a way of getting people get okay. more money in. But my guess is, who knows? But my guess is, you know, by the time it comes to the summer. Um, you know, will they go back to allowing random seats? Because otherwise, there could be delays with flights and things like that. So it'd be interesting to see. I mean, I was I was looking uh, the other day at their seating system, and like the most expensive one is forty one. 99 per person and like the benefits on it so the family sharing one is, is very good but works out around 31 euros but that's priority boarding and seat selection and getting uh, 10k bags and also carry on a bag and also between you a, a 20k bag mm. so that's you know, it's still very expensive, but um, I the, the next one was forty one. I was wondering what's the difference, and like down in the benefits was like free airport check in. <laughs> I'm going, 
I don't, I don't know any airports that charge you for chicken. But they actually put it down as a benefit. Oh, my God. As an extra 10 euros. So they're right. characters. So just to keep an eye out on that, maybe after Christmas if you're going about that. But, for you know, if, if you have time, Very I suppose good, you can uh, still go. A couple, couple of things. The most Googled country. Well, what did you come up with? Yeah. Where, where, where so so this is like, like every year, you know, the, the most Googled countries and uh, Morocco was number uh, 10. But what I thought was interesting was Ireland wasn't in the top 10 at all. Wow. And the most Googled was Greece. You know, the, the last four, you, they're, they're what you'd imagine were, were like um, France, Italy, Spain, and then Greece were the most Googled countries. Is this globally now? Yeah, or globally. globally. Okay. So, you know, um, in, in 2023, and Morocco was number 10, but I just thought it was interesting that Ireland wasn't in the list at all. Wow. And then that was countries. And then for cities in the top 10, Cork was, uh, the only Irish city was interesting was Cork was number nine on the list. And uh, as someone said to me the other day, that was probably Cork people Googling themselves. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, number, number one... Narcissist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> number one. You know, Cork people would say, why, are, why aren't we number one? Uh, and yeah. number one on the list was Rhodes, which kind of makes me slightly suspicious of, of the list. But um, uh, Reiner actually fly from Cork to Rhodes. So yes. If people were looking at that, um, I think that would be an interesting Maybe there's one. a connection there. In yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, I, thought, I, I just thought that was a, an interesting one, you know. Yeah. Um, what, and just what should we take from the fact that Ireland wouldn't be in the, the, the I list? Don't know. I don't know. I thought that was strange. But, you know, like, I suppose it just means, like, from a popularity point of view, you know, it was interesting that you were talking earlier on about how the numbers were up from 2022, yeah. but not anything like 2019. So... You know, maybe I don't know, like factors like you know maybe cost in in Ireland and things like that. Yes. Maybe maybe that is a factor. And uh, you know the setup here, and John G was talking mm-hmm. about it, where where you know the fact that some commercial hotels who were doing pretty well are also taking in uh, Ukrainians. Is, is that something that's not just in Ireland? Is that affecting accommodation in the rest of Europe, for, for example? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Actually, I don't know that. Um, that is an interesting one because I I don't know if it's a topic in other countries. Cause obviously, yeah. it is in Ireland, but I really don't know if it, if it's a topic of conversation you know wow. um, but I mean Airbnb has grown like hugely over the last um, number of years and I'd say that's one reason why you know like, like the number of stock now yes, and, okay. and it's actually becoming a bit of an issue you know I'm going to uh, in, this summer I'm going to the south of France and flying into Marseille and I was looking to at Airbnbs there and I just noticed there was an article at the week at the weekend uh, there was like a comedy Airbnbs in the centre of Marseille that they were they were like gluing letterboxes and putting up like the names of the owners on, on outside on the doors wow. trying to discourage it because they call it the gentrification of like inner inner city the inner towns where yeah. inner city where, where people want to go and I know that's happened in the past in um, Barcelona as well so it's an interesting Central. Did you ever have a have a bad experience, by the way, with with Airbnb? No, do you know what? Not not at all. Um, I love it, yeah. and, and actually, I just there now was uh, I sent out I was saying I'm going to go to the south of France, and I. Uh, just sent off an email to a place trying to book it and it was like it's like the sweet oh, we'll, we'll see how it goes I'll tell you if I get it but it's like the sweet the only way I say one, one I always my tip to people is you always ask for a discount because yeah. I've never not got somewhere with a discount and then double sweet spot is, is this place that I'm looking at is the the nights that I've put in are free, like just by look is, is when I'm going there but they're the only nights 
available in this uh, villa for the whole summer. So uh-huh. they've got like five nights. So that I love when I see that, I go, that's the spot because if you know psychologically and uh, the owner i'm hoping they go oh, flip it i can just fill it and i'm done for the summer right. so then you ask for a little discount you know and then they, they, <laughs> yeah. they might nod towards exactly. you indeed what, what about travel trends then what 2024 yeah and you know like it, it's gas because I, I you know actually like i was doing this list up the last few days and then i, I got an email uh this morning like at 10 from condon asked about travel trends for uh 2024 mm. and i always find it really interesting it's something that we we've we for the last few years we always do around now yeah. or in january and as gas seeing the trends are the same ones that each year and a fewer sort of trends which um i actually have been talking about like during the summer like particularly when i came back and and one is like cool station so they're saying that the trend for next year is people looking for you know cooler climates um, are also the 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 shoulder season they're calling it people going on holidays uh, off season and actually I noticed the other day like just say in Ibiza which you know is famous for its clubs and all that like the season they, they always open up the, the big nightclubs kind of have an opening weekend and this year the opening weekend is actually in April which you know used to be in June uh-huh. then it went to May and now it's in April and I saw someone else talking about like there's stuff going on there during the summer and saying about how you know it'd be interesting to see I could see it in the future opening up all year round and people going there more in the off season so that's something that um, I definitely will, will yeah. see as a trend but yeah. then you know it's gas because like, I look at different lists and I saw one list and it's going like a trend is saying uh, that planning is back and that people are like you know planning their holidays um, because just say from the point of view of air travel it was interesting again hearing John talking about like the numbers being mm. up and mm. they're, they're saying that the demand for next year from a travel point of view the demand is, is back to 2019 levels but then on the other side is and maybe it actually ties in with what you're saying they're saying that the, the, the availability but this more flights is 10% down from 2019. Just capacity. Yeah, capacity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the demand is there and I suppose there was huge pent-up demand after COVID as well. So the demand is is back to the levels it was but the airline capacity is down. So we we're probably not as much aware of it in Ireland like because mm-hmm. R- Reiner are an outlier where they are up 25% from 2019. But it isn't. They're they're basically taking from other airlines. Like I even yes, saw an yeah. a, a announcement there during the week, uh, last week that uh, Ryanair now are doing internal flights in Morocco and a lot more flights. So they're kind of becoming like you know the, the Moroccan government have given them permission. So they're. Really and as much over. as we like to have a go every so often at Mr O'Leary and well, go, what a success story! I mean, really, I know yeah. exactly. So I'm, you know, I'm, I, you know, I find amusing, like in a way, and you kind of have to be on your toes <laughs> with them. <laughs> but I, I, I actually use, I mean, for the last few years, like I, like say in 2000 when COVID happened, I kind of lost track now of what year exactly when these things happened. But I'd book flights with Erlingus mm. to go that summer, and which which we didn't get, and. Um, I still actually have uh, some of the vouchers oh, because right, yeah. that was five. They gave you five years, but because I've still been going with Reiner, because at the end of the day, the prices are amazing. Like this year, say I'm going from Shannon 
to Marseille and, and it's you know it's it's way cheaper so mm. that you know so as you say you know and, and people give out you know about like say the baggage and things like that but at yeah. the end of the day it still always works out cheaper of course you know? yes and I'm old enough to remember the original costs when there was just the option of Aer Lingus and I mean it was prohibitive for any ordinary person exactly, to fly exactly you know? I mean you know in fairness what other trends uh, should we be yeah. looking so at Fergal one, you know one is um, house swapping and you're saying like like you know uh, personally I, I really like Airbnb and uh, you know it's, it's a hugely popular option but as uh, as I said uh, one that I've loads of friends that have done I, I haven't done it myself but I know loads of friends have done it and even in Clamel and all over mm. is uh, house swapping and I haven't got around to doing it but I know friends that do that and they go off on their holidays and then they have somebody coming over and that's they're saying that's something that's going to grow because their costs can be quite high with Airbnb mm. Mm. So that's something. And even TikTok now, uh, you know, they actually, people, there's like hashtags with house swapping and people are doing it themselves now, even not on the websites. But like the the, the, the famous ones are like home, for people to check or homestay, uh, home exchange, I suppose they would be the, the, the two uh, best known ones. Mm. But um, And how does that work for So you, you pay a fee. And I actually did that. I paid the fee a few years ago to do it, and then I, I just didn't. We didn't get around mm. to doing it. But you pay a fee; could be like a hundred euros to to be a member. It's like being a member of a club. Yes. And uh, then you you basically like you match up, and people, you know, and I'm always amazed people because people, especially in the hot places, we we want to go to the to the hot climates, and then people in those climates want to come, want to, come yeah. to Ireland. You know, and especially like somewhere like Clamell is perfect as a and, base. And do you match the properties if you know what I mean in terms of I know what you're saying you know. no it's more the locations is actually because right, okay. that's I know people have gone to you know like even from Clamel and they go to amazing houses in the south of France or in America you know so it, yeah it isn't actually that. It, probably where you match is maybe family size so, okay. yes. you know, or the number of rooms and things like that but often even you know, you swap the cars and you swap the house and, and, you know, they're left at the air. So they go to the airport, leave the car there and you pick it up and vice versa. So anyone I know that have done it actually have really loved it. So mm. be interesting to see, you know. I'm not sure would that be for me now. I know. Well, I, I'm the same because because yeah. I saw, like, I was reading about it there about it being a trend and one of the things was, um, you know, like saving on uh, charges, like Airbnb charges for like cleaning and stuff. But all I'm thinking is, is like, I think I'm okay about paying for cleaning mm. on my holiday as opposed to scrubbing sure, your, someone's course, house yeah. for two days like making sure it's spotless before yeah. and hoping that yours is the same you know yeah and can you imagine before you set off exactly. because you know, like, you know, you know? You, you'd be wanting to have it sparkling and all of that anything else we should be uh, yeah. keeping so in like mind? sports tourism is something that you know but like you know people love to mm. like going away for yeah. matches and things like that so they're, they're saying like drive to survive is, has you know that show on Netflix about formal one and that's yeah. becoming a big thing like I have a mate who, who's who gone over to Silverstone went over last year to Silverstone in a camper van but it, it, it's actually a major it's, it's like a little holiday now because they go you can go there for four I think probably five even before the race even before it starts they have like concerts on there activities so you can go there for four or five days. It's the same price whether you, I think you go for one day or four or five days. He went last year and this year he's upgraded his ticket for to get into, like he, now he knows the good places to watch the race. So 
even if you're so if you're into the racing but even like they have like major artists every single night and activities just, just around so, the yeah, racing exactly wow, yeah, yeah, and like yeah. you know then obviously for the Euros are going to be on this year in Germany yeah. and they do it amazingly uh, like just say on my Travel Days with Fergal podcast I had Carl Spain the comedian on mm. That was one of his highlights was going to Germany during the World Cup. And he just said how amazing it was, like the facilities, how organised it was and seeing the country. And sometimes it's a country that isn't as popular, say, as the Spains and the Portugal. So mm. to go off, get to see it. And, you know, like just say even like um, there's a, like in Dortmund, they have a national museum, a national football museum that's going to be there for the World Cup. But all the cities will, will will have stuff on and so that that's one that's really good and then another example is um initially just say the tour tour de france if you're into cycling mm. and a lot of people around this area the tour de france actually this year is going to be around bologna rimini is the the, the italian stage it always starts in a different countries mm. so this year it's initially around Rimini Bologna that area and that's a beautiful part of uh, Italy mm. so that is going to be there you, You'd want a lot of advice on that though wouldn't you to be in the prime spot to to make sure that you yeah. see what's happening you Yeah do you know but again actually my, my same mate that's going to the to the um, to the, the the racing in Silverstone he's been he's big into cycling as well actually mm. he's he's gone to being in France for that, and he, the way he talks about it, so it actually doesn't matter really where you are because right. what we, we don't see is it's a whole, like say that you go to some town on the route, the night before there's always like festivals on right. and they have, you know, all the advertisers on the tour, they all have floats. So even hours before the race happen, all these floats come and they give out stuff. and they, so it's, it's amazing. And and some of the choices around holidaying in in that case, do you follow the tour to some extent? extent well, I, yeah, but I, I think it's probably more if you're near an area, okay. you go. And ideally, okay. you want to go is uh, up, like in the mountain stages. They're the best because one, they're going a bit slower. Like if you're, you know, you're in a town, they whiz past. But yeah. the, ideally, yeah. you want to be in one of the mountain stages and then, I mean, you see how hyped up the people are running along with the bikes and stuff. But it's a whole, it's 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 a whole day. It was funny. I always wondered until it was described to me, you know. But it's the whole day, and everyone gets hyped up. So by the time they arrive, you right. know. But it's, it's but the, but there's parting around exactly, it as and well, always and like it, thing, each yeah. town like treats it like a like a bit of a festival, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Anything else we should keep in mind? Yeah. So just a, well, another one is like I've talked about it before. The key, I think every year I've come in and said trends and. One is about trains mm. and um, mm. there's night trains now like the Austrian rail operator OBB they run a number of from from uh, Vienna to all the like major capitals they've got night trains now that are running and you can so you pay that so that's something that I've been look they're all, they're open now but I mean I, I was I read a review a few weeks ago and it was like Vienna to um, Paris and um, the guy was you know, like the, the showers weren't working and uh, they, I think it's like early stages but right, it, okay, and, and yeah. price, it's a couple, like could be four or five hundred euros. So wow. it it's sort of near, like so, but you know, a lot of people now don't want to use planes, you know what I mean? So and that's part of it. But I think this that's something that's going to improve. And I saw another one, is a lug which I thought was really interesting is is like a, a luxury train trip and it's the most expensive one so you can I think it's over eighty days it starts in America and you end up in India so you'll have to oh, travel a bit as God, well. God, I'd love that. But so it costs roughly one hundred and twenty thousand. <laughs> 
So can you imagine? Can you imagine? I think I might have to put that off till next year, I would imagine. Exactly. But you know what I mean? There is like the smaller, that's the most, the the most luxurious one. And another trend actually is saying a lot of train stations now around the world are improving the food offerings and mm-hmm. it was interesting because I was listening like in, in New York there's a Ar- famous bar in New York called the Dead Rabbit they've opened up one called the Irish Exit like a, an Irish bar in, in the train station in New York and uh, that just opened but that's something that I could see happening you know the, yeah, more course, trains, yeah. you it's know? interesting and you know that uh, ability now to be able to sail from is it Cork or Rosler to yeah. Spain and Portugal yeah, will people take that uh, up oh, do you oh, think oh yeah, definitely I actually was talking to someone at the weekend about that um and uh, th- so they were on a... Uh, the, the is that from Ross Lair, for example, is it? Y- yeah, from Ross Lair, yeah. and, and it goes to Bilbao. Yeah. And uh, of someone who, who was on last summer, started last summer, but it's a, it's a brand new boat, and they said it's just unbelievable. Mm. Like it's, but it's, it's a long trip, though, isn't it? It is, but the boat, I mean, the facilities now in that boat are, are amazing, and the rooms, um, and if you're going with a car, because I looked at it last year, potentially, mm. and the price kind of worked out roughly uh, if you're going for a couple of weeks particularly like just say the people I was talking to at the weekend because I was price wise I was between flights and a car and getting the boat for mm. six it was kind of r- roughly around the same but but if you were going for a couple of weeks like just said the people I was talking to who did it last summer they were saying it, it's amazing but they were going for like six weeks to, to Spain and travelling right. around Spain but um, it, it's definitely something that I think that they, they said it was amazing anyway. yeah, I, lo- I love the idea of that uh, as well and when, when are you back with podcasts and stuff yeah, when, so when are you doing I'm new recording stuff? at the moment with my travel tales with Fergal so um, that'll be in the new year I'll have one out at kind of an end of year like, like this one now mm. coming out in the next week but then I have a bunch of new ones then next year so look forward to that very good well happy Christmas to you and thanks for all the wonderful contributions as well Fergal thank you for that uh, that's it for me Emma produced Ali looks after our content. Stephen is on the way with the time tunnel and I will speak to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage Puck On, you can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie